This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, front and center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. What is Crackalack and Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli coming at you once again without my fabulous co-host Adam Frommel. We do still have a loaded episode for you today. I've teed up Bleacher Report's Grant Hughes to come on and discuss all the latest rumors. We do have to bear in mind that we approach these news breaks with caution because there are strategic leaks. There are agendas here. Not all of these Rumors are actually legitimate. Most of them are not going to pan out, but they're still fun to bounce around and talk about the theoretical. We touch on Victor Oladipo, Drew Holiday, Aaron Gordon, some other trade candidates. We have hypothetical trades galore in this episode. And yes, that includes Russell Westbrook and the Houston Rockets. Grant and I also discussed them a bunch. Follow him on Twitter, by the way, at GT underscore Hughes. However, we have, in the latter half of this episode, Salman Ali, coming on the podcast. He's a fellow Blue Wire podcaster, hosts the Red Nation Hoops podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Salman Ali NBA. That's at S-A-L-M-A-N-A-L-I-N-B-A. He also covers the Rockets for ESPN 97.5. He's going to give us some insight into what's going on in Houston with Russell Westbrook, James Harden, the future of the Rockets right now. We talk about it all. It's It's a fun conversation. Uh, we'll have timestamps attached to the beginning of this episode so you can bounce around if you don't want to listen to everything, although I, I highly recommend it. Before we dive in, though, I just want to remind, beg, plead, implore every single one of you to subscribe and download to this podcast. Subscriptions really help us in downloading every episode. Juice those numbers, guys. Come on, really help us out. If you've enjoyed the you know four to six hours of content we're pumping out a week at this point, that would be great. Also, whether or not you're using iTunes, please, please, pretty please head over there, search Hardwood Knox. Throw us a five-star rating. Write a review. Criticism is fine as well, as long as you throw a five-star rating. We are keeping track and reading it all. And also follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. And you can find us on YouTube. Search YouTube. Uh, go to YouTube. Search Hardwood Knox. We will show up and subscribe. Last but certainly not least, major shouts to our sponsors, without whom this podcast would not be possible. BetOnline.ag and Indeed. That is a mouthful that I just blew through. But again, please subscribe. To this podcast, download every episode. That's the best way to help us out. We love every single one of our listeners. Now it's time to talk some hoops. First, with Bleacher Report's Grant Hughes, followed by Salman Ali from ESPN 97.5. Welcome back, Hardwood Knox listeners. Coming at you this time with Grant Hughes of Bleacher Report, a longtime co-worker and friend of mine, also a very special friend of the pod. He's around these parts all the time. Follow him on Twitter at GT 
underscore Hughes. Lots of NBA rumors and stuff to get to. I was just telling Grant, I love this time of year because we've been in the business, around the business long enough to know that most of the chatter is just absolute shit or these strategic leaks, but I still really enjoy it, like going through the different scenarios. And before I ask whether you agree, and before we get to some of these rumors, Grant, how the hell are you? I'm doing great. And I'll, this is, Dan, this is called a segue because I'm going to answer your unasked (laughs) question uh, right now and saying, I like it too. And I actually, I feel the same way that um, after a while, when this time of year, even though we're at a different time of year than this would normally happen, this sort of portion of the season, um, sort of things start to seem familiar. Like, oh, this is, this rumor or leak is sort of like the one four years ago that was this, you know, there's only so many things that can be leaked. And actually the fun part for me a lot of times is trying to decide like, well, okay, so who leaked this? Is it the agent or is it the organization or, you know, someone else close to the player? And what's the point? You know, because you can sort of take it as, yeah, even if it is a bullshit rumor, which the vast majority right now I think are, you can always sort of then use that to try to figure out like what's everybody's motivation and what's what's actually going to happen based on what you determine answering that question. So even if you get a little jaded, um, as I think I certainly am at this point, uh, you can still find something interesting about it. Yeah, look, I'm the type of person that's going to make a joke or throw off-the-cuff analysis on the timeline first and then think it through second about what you just said, where it's like, oh, where is this coming from? What's the angle? What's the purpose? Uh, It's also, I I don't want to say I feel dirty, but I enjoy it so much this time of year. And then yet, like, one of the problems with the league is that they probably focus too much on transactions or... I would say ascribe too much value to the theoretical because that's what they spend time discussing where it's, oh, the Bucks are playing anyone on national TV and this is, it's, it's fucking January. Uh, is Giannis <laughs> going to leave a year and a half from now? So I get the frustration there, but I feel like it's okay to indulge it this time of year. Well, especially because, and we were talking about this before too, um, this off season is so condensed now that, you know, as these rumors come fast and furious, it's going to be like a week, but you know, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not much before we figure out if they're true or not. And then we could just cross them off or say, wow, I can't believe that, you know, that Victor Oladipo is on the Knicks now, like, or saying, <laughs> whatever, like it's, we're going to get resolutions a lot more quickly because this off season is going to go in a blink. So, so that's a, that's a positive too. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't, you have to keep moving. And that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Look, let's start. Let's not start with Old Depot. Let's just let's start in Houston because that that place is going up in flames. I don't necessarily want to be labor it because we just talked to Salman Ali about it. 
however, I am curious your thoughts and just a brief recap of everything that's happened basically over, it's definitely been building towards this, but in the past 36 hours, essentially, we have heard that Russell Westbrook and James Harden, Paris Pien are concerned about the the direction of the franchise, while that story portrayed that no trade request was imminent, and even Tim McMahon on the Hoop Collective Thursday said that no trade request had been formal from Westbrook, Sham Sharania and Kelly uh, Eco of The Athletic have basically reported that Russ wants out of Houston. He prefers to assume the role that he had in OKC as a floor general. And that, to me, I take that as a, a trade request. And so now people are just wondering what happens to the Rockets because if you move Russ, it's almost certainly going to be for a negative return because his contract is just so cumbersome. And I don't, you know, if I were Houston, I would not be giving up a first round pick as part of that deal. Uh, because that's just a clear, like, tra- and first of all, they can only trade their 2022 first round pick. Uh, so because, because they've already traded a zillion, but you don't want to be in a position where you're moving him and have to attach a sweetener, even though at three years and $132.6 million, you might have to, or the reality is like, I don't, I honestly don't know what you could get as a return. And the final thing I'll say is Russell Westbrook is still really good. He is, I would say, a borderline NBA player to me still, and people argue he's a no-brainer. It's just that his fit is so complicated in so many places that unless you're basically structuring your team around him or he's in a situation like Houston where you just have four out around him at all times and there is one other co-star there, so he's not doing it alone, I don't necessarily see the point in gambling on him. And if it didn't work out with Harden, who he actively wanted to play with last summer and vice versa... Like, I just don't know, like, what you do in Houston. Like, I just don't know where you go from here. So I, I just went on an incoherent rant. Like, what is your just thoughts on, on this entire cluster you-know-what at this point? So, I mean, I have a lot. The, the first thing is um, I think that in, I don't want to make it, like, a personal thing about Russell Westbrook specifically. So I'll just say that a, play, a player like him, insofar as there are any, is really kind of the worst kind of player you can have on a roster. And so and 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 that doesn't need to mean that your belief that he's a borderline all NBA player is wrong because I think that that actually that I I buy that. But what I mean is if you have Russell Westbrook on your team, we just learned for sure that he will not be satisfied unless he is the alpha and omega, unless he is basically, you know, the MVP version uh that was on the Thunder post Kevin Durant like that's right that's who who he wants to be for an NBA team and we just learned that he's really not capable of being different than that and being happy so that and 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 if you have that version of Russell Westbrook the post KD Russ on your team congratulations you have like a 60 ceiling and like a 47 win season like that's as good as you're going to be I think because he just determines he's like a pickup player that he determines if your team wins or loses because he's going to shoot you into it or out of it. And there's just only a certain number of ways you can play with him on the roster. He's basically a center, right? Because you can't play with a conventional center with him and succeed because of the spacing. Right. So he has all these strategic and tactical limitations he imposes on you. And then there's on top of that, the salary. And then on top of that, there's the, his belief or his desire to be the guy. So I think that makes him one of the least palatable players to have on your roster in the entire NBA. And that's, again, that is different than saying he sucks. He does not suck. It's just a huge challenge to make him work 
Um, and I don't know if it's possible. So this is not a solutions-based discussion. I'm just pointing out problems because I don't, I don't have <laughs> solutions. Like we're just, all I'm doing is like emphasizing what's very obvious or I think is obvious. But yeah, man, like if, if, if you're, if you're the Hornets, if you're the Knicks, um, those are the types of teams that Westbrook actually, if you squint, makes sense because he'll make you mediocre or sort of around that and interesting. Um, and if you haven't been that for a while, then I think that's something to aspire to for certain franchises. But yeah, man, like that's a ton of money. Um, that's a tough player to fit. Like I just, uh, and, and look, honestly, is this surprising? I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not surprised at all that this Houston thing went bad. I think it was foreseeable, you know, when, when they brought him in, in the first place. That was one of the trades that you knew was terrible in real time. hundred percent. And they gave up assets with Chris Paul to do it. Like I, I remember at the time the discussion was, or I, my opinion, and I'm sure I've said this more than once, was that like I'm actually not sure that Chris. I actually think Chris Paul is better for the Rockets than than Westbrook would be. Just take the picks out of it. Um, so I, that made no sense from the jump. And then yeah, the fit issues were always obvious. And just it, yeah, I mean it's crazy when we're not smarter than Daryl Morey. I don't think, again, you know what this also says to me is that Daryl Morey probably didn't want to do this in the first place. Right. Like you don't want to, you don't want to displace the blame onto James Harden or to, well, I mean, I'll, I'll throw all the blame on Tillman Fertitta uh, all day long, but he is like culpable in this. But at the same time, like that was just, that was not a Daryl Morey trade. It was just so no. clear that that was, and also, I don't know, like, how do you get to the point where you're giving up that many assets? Was it because the Thunder knew that Harden was desperate? to play with Westbrook or that he was not going to play with Paul anymore. It's like, what is, even if Daryl Moore is forced to make that trade, like what forces him to have to give up so much value where it was, it was two firsts and two swaps, right? Plus Chris Paul. Yeah. I, I, I would just be curious to see like, what was the leverage for OKC in that situation? Uh, yeah. I don't know. It seemed like one of those deals where it's sort of, it's sort of like the Paul George one where, where, you know, although maybe not because the Clippers were kind of like, well, we're willing to do this because we're giving up all this stuff for Paul George and really Kawhi Leonard because Kawhi's not coming unless we get Paul George. That was and how maybe, Tim McMahon put it, is that the Thunder found a way to trade Kawhi Leonard without ever having him on their roster. Right. Yeah, that's really. And so maybe it was like, well, Chris Paul, we got to trade him because him and James Harden don't get along and everybody knows it. And so the Thunder are going to I mean, I don't know. You know, what's funny to me, though, is is as you're thinking of like, what's a good Russ destination or even a James Harden destination, if it comes to that, like what should Houston be looking for? It's probably the Thunder with like Steven Adams expiring deal and a bunch <laughs> of picks. <laughs> it's just like, like we, they should just run it back. I think just let's do it over and re-swap re assets. And that would, that would be my next question. And so do you see like any reasonable destinations for Russ? The ones we've heard mentioned so far, I believe, are I don't know if the Pistons were concretely linked, but they were mentioned. The Hornets and Knicks have definitely been linked. Uh, is that it? Like, am I missing? Like, I don't know what other teams have been. I know the Clippers have been mentioned tangentially. I don't know if it's been officially. It just doesn't feel like there's been a ton of interest in him. And I don't know why there would be when you have Chris Paul floating around out there, a superior player on a shorter deal. So, and then even Brian Windhorst had said, and he reported that he surveyed the league and there's not a ton of interest in in Russell Westbrook. And so that's, it opens up the other conversation of like, there needs to be something done about these super maxes where they just don't count as much. 
against the cap or something, like get the players still get their money because they come they've seemed like they've become backbreaking from a team building perspective. And I look, I think billionaires should spend that they should go into the luxury tax when they absolutely have to. Uh, at the same time, like there's a clear hurdle there. Like it's not MLB where you could just be like, well, we're going to spend whatever we want, no matter how much we already spent. There's actually limits in place. Like it makes it harder for you to spend at a point. So that's definitely a conversation to have, but we're talking about, a very unique dilemma because it's it's a player who, if you trade for him, I think whether you're in the West or the East, there's you automatically become at least a possible playoff team. And yet there's just no interest in him. And it might come back to how hard it is for to find a co-star fit with him. And then also, as you already mentioned, it doesn't seem like he's willing to be the number two. And so it almost feels like the he has to be where the player's like just a little bit worse than him. Um, maybe the, like the Paul George was probably his per like optimal teammate. I probably would have ranked Paul George ahead of him when you're going through the pecking order of star power in the NBA, but because Paul George doesn't necessarily want to dominate the ball on offense, like that's the fit I could even like, let's say a Jason Tatum, who's very clearly the better player at this point, but uh, Russell Westbrook could probably play with him because Tatum doesn't necessarily need to have the ball as much as a James Harden or even a Luka Doncic or just someone or Kevin Durant who Russell Westbrook actually played with. Yeah, no, as I'm looking through, I mean, the Knicks, again, for, for all the wrong reasons, the Knicks and Hornets make sense. The Clippers are, are a joke to me. Like, that's just like, there's no chance that that makes sense. For the sake the of other, content, I would support it. <laughs> yeah, for the hashtag content, it'd be worth it. The other thing, the other teams you have to rule out, though, so I'm just looking through, it's like, okay, what about the Kings? It's like, well, no, because they they value De'Aaron Fox, and if you put Russell Westbrook on, I, throw all the other obvious fit issues out, like, you can't put Westbrook on a team that has a young player that the franchise believes is going to be, you know, its leader because suddenly that guy is second fiddle, like way second fiddle. If you get like full on Russ on an I'm back tour, you know, type of thing. Uh, so you, you got to rule those teams out too. I mean like Orlando, like it, I, I don't know what you put together to do that, but Orlando is in that bucket of we've been uninteresting and not very good. And we'd at least like to be interesting and maybe a little better. Um, so something like that, you know, you have to look around like the seven to 11 or 12 seed range in each conference, I think as a starting point, because you can't put them on a terrible team, can't put them on a really good team with great players. So you've got that middle area to kind of play around with, I think. And that's about it. Yeah. And it, I don't think it helps that there are other better suited guards on the market. We're not even talking about just Chris Paul, but like Drew Holiday is available. Right. And so you're competing with those two who are, uh, Drew Holiday is going to be a free agent after next year if he declines his player option. Uh, Russ is probably the better player in a vacuum, but you're going to like Holiday's contract more. And then Chris Paul, again, like we said, is is actually the superior player. So I don't know how you get around that. I'm wondering if there's just going to be a team that comes out of the woodwork randomly here, where it's not. A, I think everyone's looking towards the Charlotte and New Yorks because they assume that those are the teams that will be comfortable, like really accelerating the rebuild to the point of let's chase that seven eight seed in the Eastern Conference. I'm just curious, like if a team will come out of nowhere and do something. But the problem is, is that I don't know what team that's going to be. I've thought about uh, the Lakers a little bit, just because could they be a little star hungry and want that second playmaker with LeBron getting older? And this is a star that they could actually acquire with, um, I'll say, the poo-poo platter of salary that they have to offer. But like in that deal, uh, first of all, the deal effectively has to be. Danny Green, you need Avery Bradley to opt in, which it doesn't sound like he's he's going to, so that could be a moot point there. But let's say he does. You need JaVale McGee 
to opt in as well. You have those three salaries. Then you could also throw Quinn Cook in there. If you guarantee his salary, that's four. You're going to have to trade Kyle Kuzma. That's five. And then I would think you have to trade number 28 as an actual salary because that's your next most like expensive salary filler since you're not going to move Davis or LeBron James. And so at that point, it's like, okay, we just gave up expiring contracts of, I'll say, three to four players. When you look at Kuzma, Bradley, Green, and number 28, that could actually help you next season. You kind of need something else back other than Russell Westbrook in return, I would think. And that gets into the conversation of, if you're Houston, are you giving away your 2022 pick to do that? Um, What's the protection need to be? Are you willing? The thing I proposed was that exact deal from Los Angeles for Westbrook and then a 2022 pick swap, uh, which for Houston, I think you try and avoid that at all costs because the next question I'm bound to ask you is, would be, is James Harden long for Houston at this point? If you end up moving him, you know, in the middle of this year, even after this year, like you could be bad ahead of that 2022 draft. And all of a sudden you're giving the Lakers like this primo asset and you're bereft of picks to, to begin with, unless you've gotten a, a killer ransom as part of a James Harden trade. So they're just in this dilemma where even if there's a team that comes out of the woodwork, it's the type of team where I'm wondering, like, do they like who has just the expendable contracts to give up, even if you're willing to take on Westbrook's money? And there are so very few of those among the really good teams in the NBA. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't I just I don't see it. Um, and like it will have to be a team that comes out of the woodwork if it's not one of those obvious ones we mentioned, the Knicks or the Hornets. Uh, so. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, do you think Harden is – how much longer is James Harden on the Rockets? I will say that I will be mildly surprised if he's still in Houston at um, starting 21-22. I could see him finishing this year, um, but if they trade Westbrook or this thing just implodes, which it's it's already teetering on implosion. You have P.J. Tucker entering free agency next year. He's mad about his contract. Everyone's mad in Houston, first of all. Bruno Caboclo might, Oklo might be mad about his contract. Like, I <laughs> – I don't know. So I would, at this point, I just feel like the the writing's on the wall. And, you know, James Harden, if he really pushed for the Rockets to give up assets for Russell Westbrook, he definitely deserves to shoulder some of the blame here. But I don't know why you would want to stay in Houston at this point when you look at what's sort of happened. They've just overturned everything um, that made them special. And again, is how much is Harden at fault? Because they structured that entire franchise around him, but you got away from that with, yeah, maybe it's still built around James, the James Harden ethos where, you know, Russ is talking about the lack of accountability there. And James Harden seems more of like a laid back lead by example type player. Uh, Is that like, that's on Harden to some extent then too. So like they're here in part because of Harden. But when you just look at this, you know, the trajectory of this team, like what is there to like the the moves? There there are no moves unless there's a team that's really going to overvalue Westbrook. And no, I don't think he's immovable because we've proven time and again that these contracts are just going to get turned over a, a zillion different times, no matter how expensive they are. But what is the move here with Eric Gordon um, guaranteed three more years on his deal at fifty four point seven million? The fourth year is completely not guaranteed. Yeah, you have Robert Covington with two years and like 25 million left. But if you're trading Robert Covington, my bet is you're actually getting worse 
And it would be ditto for P.J. Tucker, who at this point, I'd be shocked if he's back in Houston after next season, unless they're going to give him an extension before the year. So, like, what is the the move here? And if you're Harden, you're seeing these other teams on the come-up in the West. Like, Dallas is there. Um, Golden State's going to be healthier this year. The Lakers, I would assume, aren't going anywhere for a while. Ditto for the Clippers. The Jazz always sort of hang around. Like, what if Phoenix trades for Chris Paul and you have to watch, you know, Chris Paul resurrect basketball in the state of Arizona where you played college, college ball? I, I feel like we're going to reach a point where it won't be necessarily Houston's decision, but that James Harden is going to push for out. And I think that point, if it's not already there, if it's not happening behind the scenes already, it will happen before next season. Yeah, I think so. There's, I mean, the thing to me that would keep Harden in Houston through, I mean, let's, I don't know about the end of this contract, but you know, which is ends in 2023, but at least through next year or this year, I guess we can call it now. Uh, is that I don't know if he's ever going to find a situation where he is more powerful because, you know, like the way that the Rockets did everything, like from who's on the team to how they played to, you know, all these, you know, these stylistic advances, the centerless stuff, like Russell Westbrook had a part to play in that. But, you know, Harden really seems to be like the single most influential figure in that organization. And I think that's true to some extent of a lot of big names, but you really don't see it to this degree. And so like, if he's, if he, and, and I think he came out and said, or, you know, sources close to him or whatever said that he's locked in on, on this year and, you know, contra- unlike Russ, you know, wants to stay, um, which is what you should say, I guess, uh, but to keep your trade value high. But um, I think that he's just got it really good. And, and if winning, I mean, you know, that, that's the problem though, is, is how much does really being in total control of an organization matter if you're just not going to be able to win and there's no good way to make your team better. Like, so I agree that at some point, I don't know if I'm ready to say that this is his last season with the team, but I don't think there's any scenario where he finishes his current contract. I think even if it's just the Rockets wising up and realizing our only path forward to not sucking for like the 10 years after Harden leaves is to use him to get some, you know, some, some assets back. Um, It may be them that decides it eventually if he's not the one, you know, asking out. The last thing I'll ask you about this is what is the team that right now can put together an offer for James Harden that wouldn't make Houston necessarily hang up the phone. Like let's say things are just tottering on the brink. James Harden, like you said, is locked in wants to be prepared for this season, doesn't really necessarily want out of Houston, but like as ESPN reported, it doesn't seem like the situation is great. What's the team that could come in right now and at least get the Rockets to think about it? I told you it's the Thunder, man. Right. Like they got, <laughs> they've got all their picks. They've got the expiring salary if you want to cut money. They've got, I mean, sure, if you really, you get SGA back or something like that. I mean, it really is the Thunder, which of course is never, ever going to happen. Um, I, I don't know, like, I guess... It depends on what the Rockets want, because you could just start going down the list of expiring deals and say, let's get DeMar DeRozan or LaMarcus Aldridge or... or It'd be really funny if they moved Harden with the intent to like tinker around with Russell Westbrook moving forward. <laughs> like now he's the centerpiece. I, for one, want to see the Westbrook-DeRozan backcourt. Oh, God. That's, can you imagine? No, I, I don't know. That's a great question. Like I'm trying to talk myself into... Like if you're the Nuggets, would you do Jamal Murray and something or like a, do the Gary Harris, Michael Porter Jr. bunch of picks package with more salary thrown in? Like I don't want to see what Harden would do to the way Jokic has the team playing. So like that's out. I, I don't have a good answer for you. Do you. I mean, do you have anything like Harden is Harden so determines how you play 
that it's really difficult to imagine him on a team kind of like Westbrook with another, you know, defining star. I think the team that stares you in the face, I think the Thunder are one. There's the Philly one, just because if they're willing to give up Embiid or Simmons in that deal, like it's a whole new ball game. You attach, you know, if it's, I mean, if Russell Westbrook is still there, like Simmons and picks, like that's the Simmons Westbrook fit would be, that'd be something. Um, (laughs) The team I will mention though, New Orleans, like they have all those Lakers picks and they have like, I, I guess stuff, like you're not giving up Zion Williamson as part of that deal. Um, or I, maybe you are like, if it was just Zion and like filler, would you do it? If you're new Orleans, I don't, I, you might have to consider it, but they have all those Lakers picks, their own picks moving forward. They have Nikhil Alexander Walker. They have Lonzo ball. They have Josh Hart. There's like a lot of stuff they could get done. You could look at is Houston interested in like some sort of sign and trade scenario for Brandon Ingram as well. They just, they have, they have Jackson Hayes. If, if Houston was really looking to reboot, they have stuff that I think could get it done. And I would not move. I think it would only make sense to actually make such a move if you're keeping Zion and Drew Holiday as part of it. It would just make so much sense to still have Harden there. Um, you definitely have to keep at least one of Ingram or Holiday in that scenario to me. But they have, they just have a lot of stuff. And so if it gets to that point, and look, the good the good thing about their quote-unquote stuff is like if you're moving uh, – Drew Holiday, he has one year left on his deal because they do need salary filler to make this work. Like Lonzo Ball is sort of expensive relative to people who are on a, a rookie scale contract, but you do have to get, you know, you're taking back $41.3 million in hardened salary. So I don't necessarily know what the exact package has to look like. Again, there's the Ingram sign and trade or you have Holiday if you need to use it. But there's that would be the other team that stands out to me. It's going to be tough, man. I don't. I, I got nothing else left on Harden other than to say it's going to be tough, which is also my same uh, analysis of Westbrook. So double tough for the Rockets. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager on than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division odds, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, Triple tough for the Pacers with Victor Oladipo. I... I'm actually like laughing at the reports that are coming out. So there was the one on Thursday that said he told, uh, he asked players from the Heat, Raptors, and Knicks, Knicks of all teams, in front of his own teammates if he could come play with them, which is just shout out to the Knicks because this just proves that Frank Nilakina is a superstar draw. I just, the, the players, they want to come and be his teammates. So shout out to the Knicks and Frank Nilakina. Uh, there was also, Victor Oladipo's sister, I believe, on Twitter, like quote tweeted the report and said something about, uh, you know, which teammate is really opening his mouth. And then someone responded with, "This is definitely Miles Turner," and she agreed with him. Um, them and then Miles Turner like slipped in with a response, like saying, "Oh, it's like that." Things are clearly not okay in Pacer world, and so what? What happens here? I think the assumption was that the Pacers were just going to let it ride. They have Nate Bjorken as their head coach now, and you just see where you lie at the trade deadline. Oladipo's value is probably so low 
just because he hasn't really ever fully regained form following that 2018 quad injury. You're not going to lose much, if anything. You're only going to maybe build up his value if you let him play till the trade deadline, or maybe the fit just works out and you want to keep him. But now I'm like, something needs to change here. Well, here's so the thing is, I think what you said about, you know, that now maybe not, maybe isn't the time and the deadline might be better. I think we could apply that to almost every trade we discuss preseason because generally, like, just this idea that you have to make your team before the season starts is crazy to me because you don't really know. I mean, I don't think this is a hot take at all. I'm sure people have said this, but like waiting to the deadline just isn't as fun to talk about. So we got to do this now. Uh, but yeah, no, this, to me, I, I kind of thought Oladipo was going to be traded before the season started before this because it just it just felt like I don't know maybe I gave I I got swayed by all the all the buzz and all the reports and just constant you know the 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 industry that we're in um, it made it seem like it was more likely than it actually was but like <laughs> where's your where's your sense of taste Vic like what I, I get. <laughs> I get the Ra- like for sh- you know sure the Raptors who are the other team the Heat yeah everybody wants to play for those teams I get it but the Knicks is just like man what what does this guy want I, it, it doesn't make any sense it's a which one of these doesn't belong situation um, the other thing that's interesting to me is that I always think about how like Oladipo did not sign with the Pacers right, right. and like. Jimmy Butler didn't sign, you know, he got traded to the Timberwolves and then the Sixers. And, you know, Russ got this different set of circumstances, but he got traded to the Rockets. He didn't sign there. Kyrie got traded to the Celtics. Like, I kind of think maybe we need to start being a little more on the lookout for guys that get traded to teams that they didn't have control over. Because it seems like a pattern is developing where those are always the guys that at some point just yeah. decide, like, nah, I'm, this is it. I'm Kyrie in Boston. Go yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I'm just saying I'm, I'm spotting trends and Vic seems to be the, the latest in that. I don't know what you get for him on the market at this point, though. I still think maybe waiting might be the best play because I, I think you boost his value. And his salary for next season is palatable, but you're dealing with the performance post-injury. And at this point, like, look, the sample size of his being an all-NBA player versus his being very much not an all-NBA player, it, it tilts so far towards the latter that I don't know what his value ends up being. That might be a player if Lakers fans need to, like, we need a third star or something. Like, maybe you could get in on that by including Kuzma, Caruso, and a 2022 pick swap. Like, maybe that's something that entices Indiana, along with salary filler. And look, they're going to look to remain competitive, so maybe having a Danny Green in that deal is something that intrigues them, too. There was a rumor, though, this is per Kevin O'Connor, that the Celtics are interested, uh, among the teams interested in... Victor Lodipo. So I'm just curious about how you feel about that fit or if there's any team that, and I think there are probably a few that I think you could justify making the move for Lodipo, but if there's one that stands out or where you'd at least be like super tantalized by his fit there. Well, I mean, the Lakers are definitely one. And, and part of that is just because of the, we're, we're a year to year team anyway. So if we lose him for nothing or if this flops, like we really only gave up Kuzma who we don't want to pay what we're going to have to pay on his next deal in green or, or whatever. So that makes sense. I mean, I think the Clippers actually, if they're trying to really flip things around and get, you know, a point guard that can play both ends, he's not a real point guard, but I would have no problem playing him there because he can guard ones. Um, it, it, like, you know, he's going to give you sort of a more defense than Lou Williams, which is not hard, and more offense than Patrick Beverly, again, assuming he's healthy. And he's a big name and, you know, something like that. Um, I actually think sort of almost anywhere you imagine, well, where does Victor Oladipo make sense? Drew Holiday makes more. 
So that's another hurdle for, for the Pacers is that, you know, you've got a guy who they're both rentals. Holiday makes a little more money, but I, I think if you pulled every team in the NBA, they'd just rather have Drew Holiday and pay the seven million more or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So, so that's a big that's a big problem. Is that it's kind of like the Russ thing with there's Chris Paul and there's other better options. Um, the, the Pacers are just just in I mean a, nothing close to a position of strength trend. And that was that was true before he's he's broadcast. It's being broadcast that he's trying to get off his own team. Right. That's a great point. Uh, the, I'm actually, I'm intrigued by the fit with Boston. And the thing I thought about is so like, let's say you're Phoenix and the Chris Paul trade is going to happen. You have the number 10 pick, which you're not going to, my assumption is that they're not giving up number 10 unless they're getting a pick back or something. They're not giving up number 10 bridges eight and obviously, or, or Booker. So you have number 10 and you know, Chris Paul is coming. Uh, you also know that like, because of the number of players you're going to trade out, like you're, the body count there is going to be like a little bit lower. Either you're going to use your cap space or and in which case that'll cost you Aaron Baines and, and Dario Sarge and Frank Kaminsky, or, you know, you're going to keep those guys and you just won't have a ton of wriggle, wiggle room other than maybe the room exception or the, the non-taxpayers mid-level. However, you're going to structure your books. So let's say, again, you're at number 10 and anything's happening in this draft. And let's say you like um, Sadiq Bey or Patrick Williams and Patrick Williams is like my, like that's the guy I'm, I've like zoomed in on every year. There's one or two of them and he's it for me. And he's been shooting up draft boards. I've seen him mocked now as high as seven. I've also seen him mocked as low as 16. Let's just say a Patrick Williams, or again, a Sadiq Bay who definitely would fit there is going to be available at 14 and the Celtics offer you 14. And I think they have 26 and 30. Are those the picks yeah, that they have That's right for number 10? And so you can move back. To 14 get two extra players in the first round and you're still getting the player at 14 one of the players i'm sure you'd want devin vassell instead but i feel like he's gonna go before 10 which is why maybe you consider this so you get one of those players still you have those picks and then boston turns around goes to indy and they have number 10 gordon hayward and let's say they're offering like a future pick of their own or you have romeo langford you have grant williams it's Gordon Hayward, number 10, and stuff for Miles Turner and Victor Oladipo. Are you considering that if you're Indiana? Oh, if I'm Boston, I'm considering the hell out of that. Uh, but if I'm Indiana, I don't know. I I, I guess. My, so I actually had kind of gamed this out as a, as a Drew Holiday situation, which the logic still applies where it's you're Boston, you flip those three firsts into you know something higher in the top 10 range. I'm not sure what team's willing to do that necessarily, but say you do that and then you're looking at using Hayward in the pick to get, I was thinking, Holiday or something like that. If I'm Boston, why don't I just keep Hayward and pick the guy at number 10 or what, or whatever it ends up being? Uh, because, you know, it, like the, the Celtics are in a situation where even if they, you know, th- their roster is almost full as it is. They've got these three firsts. They just basically can't use them all. Uh-huh. And they've got major tax problems going forward. And so what Boston needs is another guy on a rookie scale deal who is actually good and might play for them. So, I mean, like if the Celtics could get Patrick Williams and keep Gordon Hayward at his money, I mean, I don't know. I like Miles Turner a lot and, and you know, I like Oladipo, but that's something I'm thinking I might not do just because I think for the Celtics, that's just your risk is a lot lower and, and maybe your path to, you know, keeping Tatum and Brown, super on super competitive teams for a very long time depends more on getting another younger guy which is weird because their core guys are so young but i don't know i mean that's i think that's a reasonable trade i just 
if I'm Boston again and I can trade up using those three picks, I might just want to keep that better pick that I got. That's a good point too. Not really something I consider. The ex- it would definitely get expensive if you were hashing out a deal. And again, it's not just Hayward and ten for the dual uh, acquisition of Oladipo and Turner. But if you're getting both, I actually might consider it because you could let Victor Oladipo walk after next year, and then you still have Miles Turner, and you do need, yeah. I would say, long term an upgrade at the center position. However, you probably want someone who matches up better with Joel Embiid. So that's a you're right. If 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 you can get a Patrick Williams or a Sadiq Bay at ten, like it's, those are the guys that I would like, but. Why wouldn't you do it then? That is a good point. Although, if you were able to get Drew Holiday for that package, Gordon Hayward in 10, uh, you would actually need to take back more money from New Orleans because uh, Gordon Hayward has a $34.2 million player option. Uh, and then I don't know. like it, I think I would still do it. Just like Drew Holiday, I feel like, doesn't really have to interfere with what Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are doing. Maybe, it's, you, maybe you're like too small in that regard. Uh, because he's about the same size as Victor Oladipo, and then you still have like Marcus Smart, you have Kemba Walker. It's like there's the downside there, whether you're trading for Oladipo or Drew Holiday. But it does feel like the, either of those two guys is someone who can put pressure on the rim and defenses in the half court would elevate their immediate ceiling. So if you don't care about the long-term cost of the roster, that seems like an avenue worth exploring because I, I think the ceilings on Oladipo and Drew Holiday, particularly in the playoffs, are, are definitely higher than Gordon Hayward at this point. I think I agree with that. I just I want you. We brought up Turner, uh, and this is going to be a little bit of a diversion. But I think Turner is a really interesting piece in this offseason because I'm sure at some point we've had maybe recently there there have been well yeah I think in in conjunction with some of the Oladipo stuff there was talk of like well you know Turner might be something someone the Pacers are trying to move, and and I I have a hard time figuring out if that's actually accurate or if it's that Turner is like the guy who comes up whenever you're trying to find, hey, you know who'd really fit at center for Team X, whether it's like the Pelicans or the Celtics or the Warriors or or whatever, it's always Miles Turner. It's just always like the guy that can defend the rim and shoot threes. I just, I wonder if the reason he's in discussions or, or whispers or rumors or whatever it is, is because he just like obviously would help so many teams, right. or if it's actually because Indiana wants to move him like half the time I wonder why the Pacers aren't trying to move Sabonis instead but but I think that's just because I'm lower on Sabonis than most um but Turner's such a we- yeah Turner's just a weird weird figure in this offseason where he's he keeps getting brought up and I just don't know if there's any uh fire to that smoke I'm curious if Indiana's gonna do anything because it, I do feel like there's actually at least a small fire there and like one of the red flags for me was when Victor Oladipo announced that he was staying out of the bubble but coming back in like none of it was done through the team which i feel like is bizarre uh and that that to me is probably more troubling than him asking to play for for other teams in front of his teammates although that of course is is troubling there i'm just like this feels like maybe there is a fire but i just don't know if they're going to try and put it out right now i could very easily see this team just standing pat leading into next season yeah, it makes a lot of sense because you're going to have more teams potentially getting desperate. And and then maybe, you know, again, like you said, Oladipo's value is not going to get much lower than it is right now. So so kind of hanging on and hoping uh, hoping you, the, the fire, if there is some, doesn't, you know, burn the building down might might be the best bet. Drew Holiday, we already talked about, uh, and we mentioned the Celtics' interest in him. That was also per Kevin O'Connor. Uh, Mark Stein reported that the Atlanta Hawks are also interested in him. And I think the framework there, and we've actually talked about it on this podcast, is – um, number six and like one of your young wings and then uh, can you get them to take back at least some money so you're not just obliterating a, a ton of your cap space in the process like Dwayne Dedman number six and 
Kevin Herter or Cam Reddish uh, for Drew Holiday. That, I like the fit in Atlanta with Trey Young. I'm curious what you think, or is there like, and we've probably, you know, talked about Drew Holiday trades ad nauseum, but is there like another team? Is it just Denver at this point? Everyone comes back to Denver, which I just feel like they don't have the asset firepower to get him without giving up Michael Porter Jr., which it doesn't feel like they're going to do. Uh, how do you feel about the fit with the Hawks? Or And is there just like a team that you see that has the right mix of of assets and, and motivation to go out and actually get him? Well, first of all, I was going to say Denver, and I was going to say as long as they don't have to give up Michael Porter Jr., so we can skip past that. <laughs> um, but, but I no, apologize so, for uh, shitting all over your take before you got to it. No, it's a take that needs to be shit on. At the, so Atlanta makes sense. I, I think that's a reasonable package, but if you're Holiday and you would assume that David Griffin wants to kind of do right by him, I, I maybe that's a naive assumption. Um are the Hawks going to be better than the Pelicans? You know, like our, our, so if Holiday wants, you know, to play for a team that's going to be a more certain winner or advance, you know, deeper in the playoffs or make the playoffs, um, I don't know if Atlanta is that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe it, certainly Atlanta wants to be that team, which is, which is why all, you know, they're, they're broadcasting that the sixth pick is available and they, they've got all this cap space they're going to spend. And they're going to be the used by every free agent as leverage to get more from his incumbent team because, hey, I might sign with Atlanta. Like they're in a good position to get better. Um, and Holiday would help in that effort. I just don't know that that, you know, Atlanta with Holiday, I don't know that team's any better than New Orleans with Holiday. Um, so it, we got to leave. So I don't know. I mean, it makes sense for the Hawks, I guess, but Holiday, I don't know how psyched he'd be on that one. Um, but I mean, Brooklyn, right? It like, if if you are willing to give up Karis LeVert and some draft capital, I think the Pelicans should do that. Um, you got to throw in a fair amount more money because LeVert, I think, is I think his deal escalates. It's like 16, 18 and 20, I don't know what it is, but it's something in that neighborhood. Um, so you've got to add some money there. But like if 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 the Nets believe Holiday is the, the better fitting third star than LeVert is, which I think there's some logic to that, given LeVert is better on the ball than off and Holiday might actually, you know, can give you things on both ends of the floor without having the ball. Um, that makes some sense. And I think Brooklyn, if the question is who's got the assets and the will to do it, as much as Denver is an obvious one, I think Brooklyn uh, is is right up there, too. I I actually agree with you, uh, not to sound shocked about that. I think Brooklyn is <laughs> probably has more motivation than Denver at this point, just because it doesn't seem like they want to give up Michael Porter Jr. And I, yeah. I don't see a pathway unless you're going to like start trading like multiple distant first. And then again, you run into the issue. I think I've said this to you where I can see situations where, you know what, if the Lakers were willing to give me a very lightly, if unprotected 2027 first round pick, I bet on, on a downswing by that point. But at the same time, the turnover for front office heads, like you're not going to, you're not going to be the one using that pick. And right. so why are you making that trade? Uh, the team that I don't know if they would have the motivation, but I would be curious if this gets it done. If the Spurs were just like, Hey, here's number 11, Lonnie Walker and DeMar DeRozan. Um, and that's more money than New Orleans would be sending out. So maybe you could take back some money from them, but like, here's those three, like, you know, DeMar DeRozan comes off the books after next year, like, and we're going to try and, you know what, we're not really rebuilding. We're actually going to try and win. And all of a sudden we have, think about the defensive backcourt um, or defensive, you know, one through three. Three-headed monster. Yeah, Murray, White, and Holiday. Like, think about that. I'm good with that if you've got the wink-wink deal that Holiday is going to extend or re-sign. Because if that's for a rental, then I think I'd rather have Walker and, and, and what is it, 11? Right. Um, 
I think, I mean, that that's, and really like, I think that's a factor in all of these. And I think it's, it's, it's unrealistic to, to think that, that, you know, holiday, if it gets down to, you know, these things getting kind of real, like he's of course going to have conversations with these teams and like give them an indication or his representation will give an indication of if he's going to stick around or not. hundred um, percent. And so, so like, you know, that I just, we should probably throw that in there just to sort of, you know, clarify the conversation a little bit, but yeah, if, if I got it, if I got assurances, he's going to stay, then I think I'm probably good with that. Are in you San Antonio? Are you doing that if you're New Orleans? Because I think the, you know, you could probably rework it. Like they could have a Marcus Aldridge instead of DeRozan who you could argue would actually work there, yeah. but it's so short term. And the Spurs are like, they just have like too many, I don't want to say they have too many wings, but like does De- DeMar DeRozan has to become basically your sixth man in that scenario. And that's just so many guys with like, I would say non elite jumpers, like Murray, even white. And then DeRozan and holiday is like, I'll call him an average shooter. So I think DeRozan has to be involved in there. Look, maybe DeRozan to the Lakers is a real thing. So you could like that. If that has legs, you could manipulate that to be a three team deal. Uh, But why, if you're the Pelicans, would you want to help out the Lakers? Maybe, maybe it's Sutter feuds where you're actually going to, you think DeRozan is going to hurt them. So you are going to facilitate (laughs) saboteur. No, I think, um, I think the, the Spurs backcourt slash wing situation is kind of like how we used to think the magic had a front court log jam. And then suddenly like they just don't have anybody that's good up there that they want to keep anymore. So like that's going to solve itself. But if, if I'm the Pelicans and you give me the choice of DeRozan and Aldridge, I'm taking Aldridge all day um, because of the fit and what he kind of allows you to maybe get away with, with Zion Williamson in the front court uh, defensively and, and spacing wise. Um Mostly spacing wise, Aldridge isn't a great defender anymore. Not that he ever was, but but yeah, that's if you're the Spurs, you. But conversely, you got to get off DeRozan because like you're he's like what <laughs> what are you going to use him for otherwise? Right, and I guess the other permutation would be like you do have Rudy Gay and Patty Mills, and so like you know Gay plus Lonnie Walker plus if you're moving pick number eleven as an actual salary, I think that's almost four million. Uh, around so like that might actually get you there that was quick math for me but then you're still left with DeRozan on the roster and so like I feel like Drew Holiday I would still like him there but it becomes like this weird fit all of a sudden so um, and no it doesn't quite get you there there'd have to be more salary involved it looks like yeah so uh, because Drew is making 27 next year oh no it is it is enough to get you there so Rudy Gay good job um, on the fly uh, I'll ask you about that really quick. What do you think about the rumor that the Lakers have shown interest in DeMar? Let, let's let's twofold this. The Warriors might like Aldridge, and the Lakers might like DeMar DeRozan. Which of those I feel like very odd, if questionable, if poor fits, do you actually like the best? And look, we'll we'll reemphasize that this is the time of year where all these leaks are just going to uh, pour out. So if they've even shown like um interest on the peripherals or however loose it is like this stuff is leaking out so there are agendas but those were two reports and they're just ones that don't necessarily make a ton of sense to me so the DeRozan thing I don't I mean I I I'm not a big DeRozan fan um I I just I I don't know so I'm gonna and then I'm gonna flip around and say I think DeRozan makes more sense on the Lakers than Aldridge on the Warriors and a lot of that has to do with so the things you would give up from the Lakers to get DeRozan sort of don't matter that much. You know, it's the green Kuzma, whatever package, um, and filler, I guess. Um, but if, but for the, what are you giving up if you're the Warriors to get Aldridge is, I mean, is this, 
is this Wiggins going to the Spurs? Is it like, how, how are we, how are we doing this? Is because the, the TPE is not useful because it's not even close to Aldridge's salary. So how, so that's my question. Like, it, it's, I, I think it, the, the rumor deal has been DeRozan and number 11 for Wiggins. Oh, uh, sorry. Aldridge and number 11 for Wiggins and number two. I'm not doing that. I'm not uh, doing it either. Like the Warriors, the Warriors are already light on wings and this makes it look Andrew Wiggins. I, that contract is not good, but this makes you even lighter on wings. Well, right. And I mean, maybe you're going to get again, let's, let's talk about Patrick Williams again, or, or, or you know, Devin Vassell or what, one of those, you know, Okoro is probably not going to slip that far. Uh, but if he did, I would be very interested for the Warriors. Uh, I, I, you maybe get your wing back that way. Um, but I just, I mean, I guess Aldridge spreads the floor, which lets you get away with Draymond Green, you know, and together with him up front. But again, like, yeah, Wiggins is is unfortunately and like alarmingly very important to the Warriors, uh, and and that number two <laughs> pick is very important to them too. So I'm so sorry. I, he's alarmingly important. Sorry, he is though. Like you said it. I mean, it's like who's guarding? I mean, Clay Thompson right. can't guard everybody. Maybe he can't guard anybody anymore. I don't know after the ACL. Um, so yeah, Wiggins matters, and and Aldridge, I just. You know, I, I, in theory, it makes sense with some of the spacing and stuff, but but I'm I'm not willing to give up that package if that's what it takes for the Warriors. I'm with you, and also I don't look. I respect the Lakers' never-ending quest to surround LeBron with fewer shooters, but <laughs> I actually don't hate the fit if you're rigidly staggering minutes because the half-court offense was absolute junk when LeBron yep. was off the floor last year. I think it was in the 30th percentile, and they were outscoring opponents, but they did that basically on the back of their defense, and they had some like. Uh, Rondo, no LeBron lineups that were really good on offense. If you're replacing the Rondo minutes with DeMar DeRozan, like that's, a, I would argue that's an upgrade. Maybe not in the playoffs defensively. Rondo's going to do more stuff there. But, uh, and yes, Rondo's a better passer, but DeRozan has been a, a very high end pick and roll player for basically a half decade now. Yep. And um, if he's, you know, running things, and look, you can do, I think what helps you um, have or be allowed to have some non-shooters around LeBron is you could do more stuff with him um, than you can like a traditional wing or another guard. Like what LeBron is the screener is not like a terrible idea. Yeah. People can just go under DeRozan, but he's just so good at manipulating defenders in the half court with his like change of pace that you could run pick and rolls all day with the two of them and you, or you could have LeBron spot up and do it with Anthony Davis where I think it's good enough. Um, my, my one qualm would be if you're closing games are, are you at a point where you could say, listen, DeRozan, you're making 27-7, but you're going to be on the bench for those minutes? Uh, or you're at least committed to be like, right, we're not going to play. Like, Anthony Davis is going to play center now. Because if DeRozan is starting with LeBron and Anthony Davis, can you like can you afford to have, I would say, a fourth below average shooter? Um, or Because LeBron's right around average, I would say. Like, he waxes and wanes every season. So that would be my concern. But I actually don't hate it. No, I don't hate. I mean, you you took the words right out of my mouth. The the question is, are you willing to take on a theoretically high end, significant player that you might not have on the floor at the end of the games that matter? And the Lakers, I intend to play more games that that matter than you know as many games that matter as anybody. So like that's a tough look if DeRozan is on the bench. Davis at center does alleviate some of that, uh, but but boy, you just. You're, you're on, it's not a four on five thing because DeRozan can do so much with the ball and that sort of, you know, gets you around the, it's not like you're going to station him in the corner where teams can ignore him. You have to involve him in stuff. Um, but then you're kind of margin. So, if, so is your answer to keeping DeRozan on the floor at the end of finals games, 
well, he has the ball now instead of LeBron or AD. Like, I just, I mean, LeBron opens up more than almost anybody else, but I don't know if it just, that's a tough, that's a tough way to go. Um, but again, like he does solve their second unit stuff. The problem is I just don't, he's certainly not paid like a second unit player. And I don't, I very much doubt he'd be willing to accept a second unit role. And it doesn't make a lot of sense financially to pay someone what you would be paying him as, as like essentially a backup, you know, playmaker or point guard, you know, quotes around the point guard part. And you are giving up equity if Avery Bradley opts out. So like he's, then you could assume that maybe he's gone. Now you've given up Danny Green, who people get frustrated with, but he's he's just very plug and play at both ends yeah. of the floor. Um, and, and look, Kuzma, like he's a better defender. The past two seasons, he's been average. Uh, and he would look, he was he was close to he was he played a lot of above average defense. I will say towards later in the year this season. And yes, he's coming up on an extension, but and he's not young in the sense. Look, here I am, age thirty one, saying a twenty six year old isn't necessarily young, but. Like I, you are giving up something to get DeRozan to me. Like, yes, it's easy to make that deal. But like, are the Spurs giving you anything else in, in return too? So I don't know. I wouldn't make the deal. But if you told me one of those two was going to happen, I think the one that has the best chance of working out is by far DeRozan to LA. Agree. Strongly agree. Aaron Gordon been in, I think the trade rumor mill since like he entered the league, basically uh, the magic <laughs> are dangling Aaron Gordon in number 15 reportedly with um, the goal of moving up in the draft. Do you see any like fits for him there? And I do. The one thing I'll just preface this with, it really feels like Aaron Gordon's trade value is all over the place where some people kind of view his deal as an asset, just because like he can do a lot of things across different positions on, on defense. He did um, better passing in the half court this year and look, you know, 18 one next year, then drops to 16, four the year after but then there are just people like, well, that's just an overpay for someone who is not, who should really only be a play finisher on offense, has been asked to do more, tried to do more, can't do much more. Uh, so where do you fall on him? And is there any team that you could see like being interested in Aaron Gordon at number 15 as a package to, as a means of moving down, I guess you would call it? I swear to God, you're reading my notes because my first comment on Aaron Gordon is like a rhetorical question, which is what percentage of his career has he not been rumored slash dangled slash discussed in <laughs> trades? Is it more than 10%? And it's like, that feels about right. Like he's just always been there. And so, and the second thing I have is he seems to be someone that everyone agrees will like, will fit almost anywhere provided you can get him to play the way that you want him to, which is what you described. You be, be a defender, rebound, run, score and transition finish. Don't dribble so much, and we don't need you to be a, an, a knockdown shooter. And then at the same time, everyone agrees he's not a needle mover. So it's like the Aaron <laughs> Gordon paradox. Um, we uh, have been doing the same job for too long, I think. But so the the best, the, quote unquote, best thing I could come up with, if if you're the magic and you're moving up, this this draft is the worst draft for this because I don't I don't see a lot of value or a team that would be interested or motivated to do it like honestly in the top ten I'm, I hope you have one um, so so what I was thinking is you got the Kings at twelve and so maybe if if the Magic it, this is going to be one of those like we're on the phone when the eleventh pick is is coming in right. with with the Kings and you there's a guy at twelve. You know he's not making it to 15. You have to have him. Let's say it's Patrick Williams. <laughs> Just because it's the Patrick Williams podcast. It won't be. He'll be gone probably. <laughs> but it's whoever it is. You say Gordon and and 15 for like Harrison Barnes and 12. Or, or you know, you have to throw in more money or something like that. But if you just have to have 12 or whoever's at 12, maybe that makes sense. 
because I, I kind of like Gordon for the Kings as like a low usage defender finisher. Uh, I think he's better than Harrison Barnes at, at almost everything that you would care about from that position. Um, but like, that's such a marginal move up that I, I mean, I just, I don't know if that's worth it or either party would do it. Tell me you have something higher up in the draft that makes sense. I have a bunch of ones actually. So okay, I will tell you if they're good or not. Yeah. So Phoenix sitting at number 10, Kelly Oubre Jr. And number 10 for Aaron Gordon and number 15. Why is, hmm, how much better is Aaron Gordon than Kelly Oubre? On defense, noticeably. Yeah. And needs yeah. the ball less on offense in theory. Uh, and also, I think he fills two positions for you, where you start him at the four next to Aiton. Uh, and look, Aaron Gordon shot 36.1% on catch and shoot threes after January 1st this year. I actually think he was terrible after the All-Star break, though, which I, I feel like happens every year. It's like post-January 1st, he's his split is great, but it actually kind of cratered towards the end of the very end of the season. Anyway, though, and then he can play backup five for you. And then he doesn't need the ball, again, in theory, as much on offense. Like you could, you're not going to use Kelly Bridge Jr. as a screener or just this play fin- this huge. He's, Kelly Bridge Jr. is a play finisher, but he's just not in the way of like a, a combo big like Aaron Gordon can be used. And then you're, you know, I, I mentioned this before, like maybe the guy that you want at number 10, um, because let's say Patrick Williams and Devin Vassell are off the board. And so you want Sadiq Bay. He might still be there at number 15. Uh, for all I know at this point, Patrick Williams could be there at number 15. I don't expect him to. Uh, <laughs> not if we're drafting. Right. Uh, he should not fall past New York at number eight is my stance. Um, I apologize wow. to his career in advance. But yeah. So anyway, but that would be my justification for it. And like if if like that's not enough for yeah, – I go back and forth because I'm like Oubre is not going to be a long-term piece for Orlando. Like they would have to really want the guy who's at number 10 to give up anything else in this deal. Like you're not going to give up Mo Bamba, nor does Phoenix need him. Uh, you're not, I don't know why Phoenix would want Farouk Aminu. You're not going to give up Fultz. And then the money just starts to get messy. I don't think you're going to give up uh, Chumo Kiki. Like, I don't think that's going to be a thing. So I think that would have to be the deal. But the fact that it, you're like lackluster about it makes me think that maybe it's a good deal. Like you're kind of meh. Yeah, that's a good sign. I mean, it just would depend on, again, You get, do you have to have this guy at 10 if you're Orlando? And then if the answer is yes, then I guess the marginal the difference in those in, in Gordon and Oubre is, is, is worth it. Because, um, like, you know, you think of Oubre as a short-timer, which he is because of his contract status, but, you know, Gordon's not going to, you know, Gordon's deal is fine. You can move it on if you need to, if you're Phoenix, or you can, you know, start thinking about extensions, and it's not going forever, and it's I think it's declining, too. Maybe I have that wrong. You are correct um, with uh, Gordon. Yeah, he goes from eighteen yeah. one to sixteen four. Yeah, super manageable. So, so that's that's fine. Um, I, yeah, I know. I, I, you're better at this than I am, so I shouldn't be surprised that that's much better than my my bullshit Kings trade. Uh, the other one I had, I'd like this would have to take place. You know, you agree to it, like wink, wink, and then it, you move these picks as actual salary, basically. But you would go, uh, Patty Mills and number eleven for Aaron Gordon and number fifteen. Hmm. So let's see. I think, I don't know how much I like Pat. You know, I love Patty Mills, uh, even though he's, he's getting older, I guess he makes sense. I don't know how much sense he makes for Orlando, but it's all about the pick, right? That's the, well. it's also like they need DJ Augustine can leave in free agency. They need a guard who can shoot. And like, if you play Patty Mills next to Markel Fultz, like that just works. I guess if you think that that Mills can still guard ones and twos, which I guess that's probably reasonable to to say. Yeah, no, that that's okay with me. It feels a little 
because Fultz is big enough that he could get you to. He, yeah, no, that's that's fine. I think it just kind of throws me because Mills is so much further on in his career, and it seems like Orlando should be skewing younger. But I guess that's why you're getting the eleventh pick. So that's pretty good too. And right, but you're also like in most of these deals, like unless you're trading really high up, I don't know if you're, if you're making this deal with necessarily the thought of a rebuild. Like if you're giving yeah. up Aaron Gordon, you're not looking to get just back a pick. But I am about to try and move higher up the draft board. So so <laughs> okay, buckle up. Let's, let's hear it. All right, so you're Minnesota. You oh, have you have number one. Um, it does seem like they're in love with Lamelo Ball, but Lamelo Ball would also make a ton of sense for Orlando if they're looking to take the the really uh big long term swing. You have Aaron Gordon. You have number fifteen, and there's Chubo Kiki, and then I, I would say that would be the deal, or maybe you replace uh the latter with a, a future pick. Does that interest you at all if you're Minnesota, or is it at this point no? I'd rather have Lamelo Ball. I'd rather have number one. I mean, even if I'm not taking ball, I'm I'm going to use. I can. I think I can do better with that pick than Gordon fifteen and and like if you're. I don't know what else. You definitely have to give me an additional future first and probably not protect it for me to give up number one overall. Even in a bad draft, like I just and even if they have no intention of taking them, it's just there's there's. I have to believe number one's worth more than that. Okay, so how about number two? You're the Warriors, Aaron Gordon, and you can essentially take your pick here. I'm not saying Orlando would let you, but like these are there are so many different permutations. You have Aaron Gordon, number 15, and then you can go Terrence Ross. You can go Evan Fournier if he opts in. You can go Markel Fultz even. So Aaron Gordon, number 15, and one of those other three players for Andrew Wiggins and number two. See, I think if I if the Warriors want Gordon, I think they do the step up trade, you know, give the do the TPE to Minnesota or whatever for James Johnson or some other expiring, and that, that's how you go get Gordon. But what are you giving um, up in that deal for Gordon? Y- yeah, you got to give up a future pick or something, not Minnesota's. I just to me, like it's not that different than um, than number one, and, and really, like in a lot of ways, the Warriors. This, this is hard to articulate, but. This number two pick, I think, should have more value to the Warriors than number one does to the Wolves just because of how urgently the Warriors need someone to sort of give them, you know, the, the, if the Wolves botch this, they still have Towns, right? And like, the, you know, so they got that that bridge or that guy who's their franchise. The Warriors, I think, I think they should use the pick. I think they should use it on James Wiseman. I feel extremely uneasy saying that. I just think that in the faintest of scenarios, call it like a 20 per- 10%, 20% chance Wiseman becomes a really, really good two-way big guy. Um, so if I'm Golden State, I just, I still need more. Um, I think, and, and, and I don't, and this is a little different than the, to the Wolves because I don't know how much better the offers are, will be for, for number two out there. Uh, but, but I just think it matters so much to the Warriors to get a superstar or someone with superstar potential at with this pick that like, and Gordon is basically the opposite of that. He's just such a steady thing. And 15, you're not, I assume you're not getting anything, anybody like that at 15. So I don't know. It's not quite enough for me. Here's my final one. So you have the wizards sitting at number nine. So you go number nine and it's now it's your, your trading number nine is an actual salary. And then it's a poo poo platter basically of other salaries where Ishmith could help if DJ Augustine leaves in Orlando, Jerome Robinson and Troy Brown jr for Aaron Gordon at number 15. So you're making the selection at nine for whoever Orlando wants, and then you're sending him on as part of the deal? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. 
if I'm the, if you know, that's another one that that's pretty good. I, I, I think that's, that's, I kind of, I think I might like that one the best. Um, I think I might thing- like it less for the magic. Just, I think you can talk yourself into, Hey, Troy Brown and Ish Smith, even though Ish Smith's not an expiring, you like, those are interesting for the magic. And maybe they're inclined to give Jerome Robinson more run. Um, like the wizards did toward the end of last year. Um, you are, look, I will say technically Robinson and Brown, Troy Brown are like recent first round picks. And so, you could talk yourself into that way, but there is an element of like, this does feel like a poo poo platter. It's I like Brown actually uh, a fair amount, but I think that would, to me, that's like, so if, if I think uh, if the wizards are there at nine and a Kong is on the board still, it just makes way too much sense for them to just take him and keep him. Um, but if, if he's gone, then I'm not sure, you know, if, assuming they're going to go for a center, which is just my assumption. Um, then, 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 yeah, I think that makes a lot more sense uh, for, for the wizards, but yeah, it's, it's a tough sell when it's like <laughs> it's Brown and Robinson are, are, were very recently first rounders and therefore have value, you know, the value that you would assign to a first rounder taken in that slot when we actually know kind of, especially Robinson, like what he is now. Right. Um, look, I know you have to go put a child to bed. I appreciate you giving me so much of your time over an hour once more. This was fun. You know I'm going to be pestering you probably incredibly soon. For anyone who's not following Grant on Twitter, at GT underscore Hughes, uh, the next time we talk, I believe, you know, I don't know if things will have settled down, but like we will have passed the – when you're we'll talk before then, but when you're actually on the podcast, I believe we'll have passed the, the transaction tumult. Oof. I think we're going to you know we're gonna have to collect ourselves after that because it's going to be nuts, which is good, which is a good thing. Uh, But thank you once again for coming on, and I will talk to you soon. It's always a pleasure, Grant. Thanks, Dan. Welcome back to the Hardwood Knox podcast, Salman Ali. If you guys are not following him on Twitter, please do so now, at Salman Ali, at S-A-L-M-A-N-A-L-I-N-B-A. He covers the Houston Rockets for ESPN 97.5. He has his own newsletter that you need to check out and subscribe to immediately called State of the Rockets. Go to stateoftherockets.substack.com or just if you follow him on Twitter, the link is right in his bio. He's also a fellow Blue Wire podcaster. He hosts the Red Nation Hoops podcast, which covers, you guessed it, the Houston Rockets. So who better to bring in to talk about the absolute circus going on in Houston right now than than Salman? So how are you doing tonight, Salman? I have a headache. (laughs) Is it my yelling at you already? (laughs) No, it's just what a day. What what a 48 hours. Like, it does not get any more crazy than that. You start the morning off at, like, 7 a.m. Central Time with this bombshell um, report from Tim McMahon and Adrian Wojnarowski that, that the uh, James Harden and Russell Westbrook may be unhappy and are looking to management for some changes. And then, and then you get to the afternoon, and Kendrick Perkins is on the jump talking about how James Harden hasn't answered a phone call from management or ownership in, like, two weeks. And then you get to, I guess, this is, what was it, 7 p.m. Central Time? Uh, at, that, at that point, Russell Westbrook's already telling the media, I'm out. Like, I, I want out. And then, like, I, by 9 p.m., it's already all wrapped up. The day's already wrapped up. Russell Westbrook's, like, drinking wine on Instagram. His wife is in is video videotaping him and he's just like happy birthday <laughs> like that's it like and that, that, that that's the day that's the day that, that that's what you had to go through if you're a rockets fan for 12 hours just that insane roller coaster of like oh it looks like james Harden and russell westbrook are unhappy oh it looks like this situation is maybe even worse than unhappy oh it looks like russell westbrook just doesn't want to be here and here we are look uh, first of all the thing that i found maybe the best because it was the most awkward were 
was the Rockets Twitter account wishing Rush a, a happy birthday. Oh, that was so a scheduled tweet. I, right. I, I, and you know those 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 guys had no choice. Like they they, they knew that was coming. Like they they knew that was going to be tweeted in the morning. And what do you do? Like do you, do you not wish him a happy birthday? Do you just pretend like he's not on the team? Like I Yeah. It's such a tough position to be in, and I know the guy who runs that account, and uh, I, I feel I feel really bad for him. Like he, he knew he was going to be a ratio this morning. He knew it. Uh, yeah, but you have, like you said, you have to do it. That's why uh, social media members in sports, I mean, everywhere, social media is a really hard job, but that's particularly difficult. So I, there's so many angles to tackle from this. I'm going to start here. Is did was there writings on was there writing on the wall throughout the season that the Rockets could combust to this extent where we're talking about okay it's not just Mike D'Antoni leaving but uh, Daryl Morey not only left but he took another job a week after he said he was going to take a year off to spend more time with his family and now we're talking about not just a new head coach in Steven Silas not just a new uh, general manager with Raphael Stone like now Russell Westbrook wants out and James Harden may be unhappy, um, but he also may be locked in getting ready for next season too. I don't, that stuff is always just weird. And my follow-up just to that is whether or not you, this, there were, there was a writing on the wall is who's to blame. Like who's most at fault for all, for all of this getting to this point where um, Westbrook is unhappy. I tilt towards just as a spoiler alert, probably Russell Westbrook himself or James Harden because they so badly wanted to play together. Like, why is it if he, if Russ really wants to leave to go be the floor general somewhere else, like how is this not like something that you saw coming? You have, you not watched James Harden since he left Oklahoma city in 2012. Like you were never going to be the number one option. There's a lot to unpack there. So let's just start with the, the state of the organization, just in general, before we get to the team side. So I, I mean, you called it when I was on your podcast, maybe like what a few months ago, and where you asked me whether Daryl was going to go away or Mike D'Antoni, and I just organizationally, I just didn't think things were going to change. I thought they would bring Mike D'Antoni back, and I thought bringing Daryl Morey back would obviously be a smart play. And apparently, ownership just disagrees with me because Daryl Morey walks away within two weeks. He's able to be convinced to go to another title contender across the conference. Like (laughs) that is just. Like, such a black eye for the franchise. The fact that he's able, in two weeks, able to be talked out of seemingly a gap year uh, to go back right into the thick of things into a front office that's not exactly shy on voices in the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, they got, right. like, they, they have a huge, huge, like, general mentorship, like, chip chain. It, it, it's insane that the amount of people they have in that, in that room making decisions for them right now. Um, and the fact that Daryl was, was, was able to be swayed to that uh, in just within the span of two weeks is, is incredible. And I, I really think when you're talking about, like, when did the bottom fall out, I think that's probably when, when, Darryl, when Mike D'Antoni said, he, I'm done, like I, when he walked away. Uh, and I think that, that really stunned Daryl. Like, I, I really do believe Daryl's plan was to bring Mike D'Antoni back. Like, I think I – think, I mean, he knew, like, the odds that you were going to get a better coach than him. I mean, he's all about the numbers, right? Like, the odds that you were going to upgrade at that position for Mike D'Antoni were pretty slim, right? It's very hard right. to find a, a coach of his caliber. And uh, I'm, I'm sure his number one priority was to bring him back. And I, I think when he came to them on that flight heading out of uh, Orlando that and told them that he you know I'm I'm not going to return. I think that stunned him. In fact, in Kelly Eco of the Athletic in his reporting, 
it actually said that Daryl Morey was taken aback from that. And apparently he had been thinking about stepping away from the organization from for about a month up until that point. So I, you got to figure that that was probably, you know, what broke the camel's back there, right? Like it, it is, it seems like the moment Mike D'Antoni stepped away, Daryl was like, yeah, this is just an untenable situation, especially when you talk about the ownership, ownership situation, right? Like the fallout with the stuff in China is just insane. And right. when you, like, like when you talk about when that happened, like when, when Daryl tweeted, um, you know, support for the Hong Kong protesters, like literally 45 minutes later, Tillman comes out and throws him under the bus in a tweet. Like you got to figure that stings a little bit, right? Because previously he was under an ownership that had his back 100% on all matters, mm-hmm. right? In Leslie Alexander. And sure, he was he was a in the shadows kind of guy, whereas Tillman Fertitta is very much in front of the camera every Tuesday for his weekly interview, right? Like it, it, it is, it's, it's a different kind of owner, but that you definitely expected that kind of support. You didn't expect him to throw him under the bus like that within the, within an hour. Like, yeah, I, I understand your business partners are blowing up your phones and telling you like, like you, you gotta, you gotta have, you gotta have him delete this tweet. But the fact that you completely reputed, repudiated yourself from him is just, it's kind of disgusting to be frank. I mean, it is, I mean, first of all, the cause that he was talking about wasn't a bad cause. Sure. It puts you in an awkward position because it's something uh, that, you know, if you're going to if you're going to work with China here in the U.S., you just don't talk about that kind of stuff. But it's not like he's he was wrong. Like he, he was completely in his right to tweet something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, may, maybe, you know, you want to you want to take a step back a little bit, reevaluate what he said. But there's a better way to go about it. Maybe you release a press release. How about that? Like, how about you be a little bit more, more professional? You say, you know, uh, the Rockets aren't a political organization. We respect Daryl Morey's belief to say what he wants to say. That's what Adam Silver said, right? Adam Silver came out and said exactly that. And the fact that Tillman handled it the way he did and that nobody in the NBA had his back except for Masai Ujiri uh, was, a little, was a little bit puzzling. And I, I, I do think, like, at that at that point, that's when Daryl was like, you know, we haven't, we haven't spent the luxury tax in two years now. And then this China thing happens, and my ownership seems to not completely have my back here. Um, I know I'm really good at my job. I there's you know I have ten years of evidence to prove that I'm really good at my job. I don't need this. I can go. I can leave the NBA and go make millions of dollars elsewhere because I'm that kind of dude. Uh, so I I do think I do believe him when he said he was going to take a gap year. But the fact that ownership did not even try to keep him. Like if it took two weeks for the Sixers to persuade Daryl Morey to go to go to Philly, you got to figure that he could have been talked out of retirement, right? You got to figure right. that, that 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 was that was, that was basically on the table for you. And it, that reflects poorly on ownership. It also reflects poorly on ownership that they just let D'Antoni walk. And going back, going to the team side of things, I think, you know, these two things are directly related. Like, listen, James Harden and Mike D'Antoni and Daryl Morey all had a really close working relationship. That was a really good synergy, you know, synergetic group there. Like they were all in close contact all the time. My, you know, Daryl was the guy who bet on James Harden, right? Like when a lot of people thought he was crazy for betting on this 23-year-old Sixth Man of the Year candidate, he put all of his trade trade assets on the table. 
for James Harden, which at the time wasn't that much when you see some of the trade hauls you see today. But um, in retrospect, I mean, in the moment, it it definitely was a lot that Daryl was giving up there. And, you know, he bet on him. He gave him multiple extensions, max, you know, max extensions. Uh, He believed in him. He built his he built rosters around him that perfectly complemented his skill sets. And the fact that he walked away and that the coach that perfectly designed an offense to to form, you know, around you, the fact that that guy walks away, I mean, I think that really shook Harden to his core. It's something I speculated upon when when Daryl Morey stepped away on a podcast a couple weeks ago. I was like, how does James Harden feel right now, right? Like, you've got to fear that's that's the kind of thing that shakes you up here. And, you know, it, it appears that Russell Westbrook was already upset by not only the style of play the Rockets ran, but uh, I guess some culture slash accountability issues. And, and you can go and read uh, Kelly Eco, Sam Amick, and uh, and um, Shams Jarania's article on that. They wrote a huge, giant piece on it where pretty much everybody on the team was unhappy, everyone from James Harden to Daniel House. Uh, <laughs> Demar- really wasn't Damari Carroll? I think was uh, was Terrence Jones unhappy too? Uh, yeah, I have no idea. I think, I think Trevor Ariza was unhappy. I'm like, dude, you're not even on the team. You're, you're not even on the team. You're, and you're out here complaining. Daniel House, by the way, has absolutely no ground to complain after what happened in the bubble. Like, that's such a bad look that he came out and was like, you know what? I don't like my role. I need more touches. Like, what? What? Uh, I, just, just a complete and utter dumpster fire. Uh, and I, it, it, it makes a lot of sense that, you know, those two would be shook to the core a little bit. And uh, listen, like, I, th- I think, I think Russ is going to be gone by this time next month. Like, I, I, I don't think that's going to be, I don't think that's a surprise. I don't think that's a hot take. Like, I think, you know, superstars in this day and age, it doesn't really matter what your contract length is. Uh, once once you tell ownership or once you tell the media you want out, you're going to get out. That's just the way it is. You're, like, Anthony Davis showed us that there really is no contract length that makes you a secure asset, right? right. So um, it, it is – it's insane. It's, it's, I, I'm, just, I'm still processing all this. I, I, think, I think this is a little bit therapeutic for me. I think I talked for like six minutes there, and I'm still <laughs> – like, I, I, I haven't even got on my podcast yet. It's, it's, just, it's just a lot. It's just a lot happening in, 12, in 48 hours. Here's – so here's my thing is what was – I understand the concern from James Harden and Russell Westbrook because this always felt like a combustible situation. But they had a hand in it. And look, I'll blame Tillman Fertitta first and foremost because there's no way you evaded the luxury tax in each of the past three seasons since you've owned the team by fluky circumstances, especially over the past two when it was just like moves were made to get under them, basically. So I kind of thought at first that maybe this report before um, Sharania dropped that Russ wanted out, and maybe it still could be. I mean, this would be hell of a leverage play, was was aimed to put pressure on the organization, particularly after the departures of Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni, to do something, to spend. Like, you have to go into the tax this year. You could maybe access the non-taxpayers mid-level or or at least spend the mini mid-level, like spend this summer. I thought it was that type of a leverage play. But you have the Sharani report. Here's where things are just tough for me to understand. Is one, I know superstars don't think this way if you're James Harden, but what did you think? this team is going to be able to do after they gave up a trillion picks and swaps plus Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook and bigger, more than that for me is Russell Westbrook. Like, what did he think this fit was going to be? 
that he regrets it after one year. I understand that playing alongside James Harden, well, it could be good for you know, complimentary players' numbers. There's a lot of standing around. But for Russ in particular, he played, I would argue, the best basketball of his career from, like, middle point of the season, uh, basically when Clint Capella got injured, and that's when they first decided to ditch the traditional center before they even traded him, um, through the, the stoppage. And then when he came back, he had coronavirus. He was dealing with that with that injury. So I get that he wasn't as good. And so I'm just confused as to why he's so unhappy there. Um, unless the maybe the franchise communicated that that's not how they're going to play, which would be bonkers given how well it worked out for him. And so before I even get into like these potential destinations, how hard it is to move him with 132.6 million left on the the three years remaining on his deal, like I don't understand, particularly from him, like this revelation that he doesn't necessarily like the fit. What did you think was going to happen when you orchestrated this move to Houston? I mean, it was a bad trade from the onset. Like, you sold low on Chris Paul. You sold at the lowest point in Chris Paul's career. Like, that that's just, that's terrible asset management. Like, beyond the basketball standpoint, you sold on a star player at the lowest point in their career. And, like, that was a year he was coming off of, of, a, of a hamstring injury. There was reasonable belief to, to, to you know, think that he would bounce back. I, I thought he was going to bounce back. Like, I... I, I I was telling people to take to slam Houston to over because I just thought Chris Paul was going to be awesome next year. Right. And 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 they just apparently everybody in that front office wasn't fully convinced. Um. And yeah, James Harden absolutely has blood on his hands for helping orchestrate this. Right. Like he's not blameless at all. Like he like the there there was definitely something that happened in Game Six of that Warriors series. I, after game six, there was some sort of blow up. Something happened in the locker room. Nobody's been able to f- fully ascertain what exactly happened. Uh, there was some sort of confrontation between those two. Uh, th- that's all we know, right? And after that, their relationship just fractured. And it, apparently, the, those, those guys just never tried to repair it. Like, that's just strange to me. You you put all your chips on the table for right. Chris Paul. It was a healthy relationship up until that point. Very fruitful for you on the basketball court. Almost won an NBA championship, if not for a hamstring injury. And the fact that you didn't try repairing that relationship right away, Harden absolutely has blood on his hands for that trade. Um, and yeah, it was it was just it was a bad trade. It was I mean like like Chris Paul, in my opinion, like was clearly the better player at that point. On top of you're trading two first round picks and two pick swaps out like five years in the future. That by the way should have been everyone's first hint that maybe Daryl Morey didn't have all his, <laughs> all his feet in the water, right? Like, he, he it, it was definitely uh, a show of the hand there. But um, it was it was insane. It was a ludicrous trade. But at, at that point, you have to buy in, right? Like, like you can't, you can't, you know, wallow in that. It's, those picks are of some cost. You can't, you, you don't have a time machine to go back and fix that. You have to make this relationship work because – uh, listen, we're going to talk about trades here in a minute. I'm not sure the Rockets can get another star player back, right? Like, the, you know, the, they can do some interesting, very interesting things, right? And, and we'll talk about mm-hmm. that in a minute. But I don't think they can get, like, a star caliber player back, like a bona fide top 20 level player back um, from this kind of a trade. And if you're not going to get that level of player back, well, you you try to make this work, right? Like, the, the Rockets traded Clint Capella to accommodate Russ, and play micro ball, and you, you got to figure that that was going to be their plan going into next season. And the fact that you know, 
like they, they couldn't make it work for season two. Like, like it's not, it's not <laughs> even like it's not even like you guys you guys tried it for two years didn't work out. You, you guys tried it for one year and you lost in the second round to the eventual NBA champions. Granted, it was kind of a flame out, but you did lose to the NBA champions, right? So you can't try you can't sell yourself on year two for that. Like that that's that's kind of ridiculous to me. Yeah, and I'm I'm with you there. And so before my actual last question would be before we get into like the nitty-gritty of potentially moving Russ is I guess you're uh, you don't think there's a strong chance that they do still try to salvage this relationship. I guess that's or fit and then um I don't know if maybe their hand could be forced if the market for Russ just isn't robust at all or boarding on non-existent. And then what is do you think that this is now a strain on Harden and Westbrook's relationship because this definitely doesn't seem like there's as there's that level of animosity that existed between Westbrook and Harden but you could kind of sense them like there were issues throughout the season I think was reported where they graded on each other a little bit and for Russ to want to pull the ripcord after one year like I would think that there has to be at least you know maybe they're still cool but there has to be like a pretty strong like difference of opinions clashing of wills going on there for it to happen this soon where they don't even want to give it a year or two together oh this was definitely uh moving back in with your college roommate kind of situation right like <laughs> like hey we can split the rent like like you can live on that side i'll live on this side listen we're, we're, we're good friends we can work this out it's not it's gonna be fun it's gonna be just like college and, and guess what it's never like college it's never the same and I, I'm pretty sure that, that that's the conclusion the Rockets came to. I mean, uh, James Harden and Russell Westbrook, rather. And I think they're still close friends. I saw James Harden just wished uh, Russell Westbrook a happy birthday today. I, I don't I don't think that was out of, you know, anger or hatred. I, I think those guys actually genuinely like each other. I just think they realized this is not a good on-court marriage, which anybody could have told you when this trade was first incepted. Like, it was just, it was such a non-Daryl Morey move when they first made it. I cannot shake this idea that Daryl Morey was not the strongest voice in the room. Well, that, made- and that is kind of the moment when it felt like he wasn't long for Houston. Like, that was the one where I don't, like, no one came out and said it, but you knew it wasn't a Daryl Morey trade. Now, look, I'm not trying to fully absolve him. Like, he gave the Eric Gordon extension. I don't think he was forced to do that one. Uh, it would be really funny if he was just trying to sabotage the Rockets' future, knowing that he was going to leave anyway. But from the moment that he treated, not um, Russell Westbrook as the best player in that trade, but as the appreciably best player in that trade like it kind of just felt like his hand was was off the wheel there and the Rockets they they leaned even further into it because they treated Robert Covington as the most valuable player in that Clint Capella four-team trade too so there's all those kinds of problems there and now you get into the simple matter of okay look you can't consider what it costs to get Russell Westbrook to move him because you're not gonna net that value in return it's a sunk cost you have to view it as a sunk cost right and but like where do you see like any potential fits for him and like look there are teams like you can come up and they'll send uh just like a buffet of contracts to houston but like is there any team that you could see maybe even giving up a little value or uh, sending helpful players to houston in order to take on westbrook and again so this is what i'll say before i i throw you the, the talking stick is russell westbrook is still really good i would call him a, fr- a fringe all nba player at this point the problem is, is, is it's not the money per se, but it's the fact that um, he's not easy to fit in any situation as he's just proven. And so you can't – it feels like his perfect teammate was probably Paul George, where it's like someone who is probably the better player than him, but at the same time 
he doesn't want to dominate the ball on offense as much. And so that kind of seems like where he needs to be. And like, that's a very specific fit. And if you're not going to find him that co-star, then he just needs to be somewhere where the entire ecosystem is built around him. And that's what makes him such a complicated, if damaging player, when combined with, again, the $132.6 million he's owed over the next three years. He is so much like Allen Iverson. It's not even funny. Like from everything from the cult following to you have to construct this very specific archetype of a team to make it work and be successful in the playoffs. Like it is, it is down to a T. He is modern day Allen Iverson, and modern day Allen Iverson even in you know the mid 2000s wasn't netting a lot of assets. I mean, it nets you Chauncey Billups at one point, right? And that's what if you're the Rockets, you have to try to hope for, right? Mm-hmm. You have to try to hope for like to get at least some positive you know, assets back, right? And I think if you're Houston, the kind of trade you have to construct is, one, A, you cannot trade any more first-round picks. First of all, you don't have that many to trade. Second of all, like, you don't have any firm commitment beyond this season from James Harden. So it is it's just not worth it to take that kind of a risk. Second of all, you cannot take a cumbersome contract that, that you cannot flip in uh, at this point next season or at this point mm-hmm. next offseason, right? You you have to be able to get whatever contracts you can get that are movable, that are liquid, right? And I think, you know, you can construct trades in that ilk, but here's the thing. You're not going to trade into a title contender, which means you're not going to get many first-round picks back, right? Because title contenders are only trading uh, for a player like Westbrook if they're going to give up first-round picks, and, and the Rockets just aren't going to get that back for Russ. Uh, and I don't think there is a team out there that's just a Westbrook away from a championship. Sorry. Like, I just, I, just, I don't. Uh, and I think at that point, you're, 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 the pool of teams you're shopping with just gets so narrow. Uh, you know, there are teams out there. Like, as you said, Rustbrook, Rustbrook is really good. And here's the thing. When you're a team in NBA purgatory like the Charlotte Hornets, you are just starving, starving for relevance. You are starving to taste the playoffs. You haven't tasted the playoffs in years, right? And it is, it's, it's, you're, you get to that point where it's like, I just want to get make the playoffs. Like, listen, I, I've talked to those fans. Those like fans like that just want to be good. Like they, they just want to be good. They, they don't care if the, if there's a, not a, like a clear rebuilding trajectory there. They understand that they're a small market team. They just want to be good. They just want a team that they can root for and have fun with. And I think you know that's the kind of that's the kind of uh, trade you're looking at. You're looking at teams like that, like Detroit. Like, you know, I mean, if I, mean, I think the Knicks are probably going to try to be more patient, but if you can, you know, try to get the Knicks on the phone, right? Like, like th- those kinds of teams are, are, are definitely the teams you try to deal with. Uh, the Pacers, you know, like teams like that are the ones you, uh, you deal with in this kind of situation. And like it, it, Westbrook's not going to get you, you know, to a fourth or fifth seed in your conference, but he'll get you to the eighth seed and the eighth seed is really fun. And he'll, he'll sell tickets when, when people can eventually buy tickets i'm not sure when that's going to be but uh oh wait wait you you can buy tickets this year right i think it's only like like partial seating right dan you there sorry i was on mute while you were talking uh the the knicks and the nets the lakers clippers like teams like that i know it won't even have fans but there are certain markets that i believe are planning to have partial capacity particularly in the suites i believe right okay uh yeah so so i i i guess like that's your best hope, right? Like, like to, to find a fan base, to find an organization that is just desperate for relevance. The Magic, right? The Magic are a, definitely a prototypical type team for like this. And 
I don't think like you know people keep throwing out the Clippers. I don't think the Clippers are really that interested. Like I, 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 I it sounds to me like there is a very clear side that's leaking this. Uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I, I, I just, I just don't see them as a Russell Westbrook away from a championship. And I, and you definitely do not move Paul George, uh, even if the Rockets uh, agree to give up first round picks. It's just, it, it clearly benefits one team and one team only. Um, yeah. It, it's a limited pool of teams, but I think if you're Houston, the kind of trade you want is you want, positive assets uh positive contracts rather you're not you're probably not gonna get first round picks back but if you can that's great like if you can get like one first round pick back that's great but more than likely you're looking for contracts that you can move or expire in a year and the kind of trade that i i really like uh it's been talked about a bunch but a straight blake griffin for russell westbrook swap with detroit makes a lot of sense right like i like first of all like Blake Griffin's contract in a year is going to be super attractive. It's a bunch of expiring money, uh, and the it, it matches up with Russ, right? Like it's actually five million dollars cheaper than Russ uh, per year. And like if you want to pivot to a rebuild, it's very easy to pivot to a rebuild. Blake Griffin's a nice talent bet. He fits a lot cleaner next to to James Harden, right? Uh, and you know it, it's the kind of thing where like okay, now you can like try and salvage this relationship with James Harden. We're like, okay, we can be a really fun and good and scrappy team next year. Maybe we can still be a four seed in the Western Conference. And maybe that's enough to maybe convince James Harden to write out his contract. Who knows? But like, that's the kind of trade if you're Houston that, you know, one that you're able to quickly pivot into a rebuild with. Uh, a team I thought about, and I don't know that I absolutely love the fit, but knowing that they have very few trade assets and, might be in the market for a third star was actually the Lakers. And I'm wondering if, you know, you go the route. I think they need help. Like they need McGee and Avery Bradley to opt in. And so the deal would be, uh, there's probably other teams involved, maybe just because this is six for one, but it would have to be Danny Green, Avery Bradley and McGee will have to opt it, opt in. Quinn Cook, you have to guarantee his salary. Kyle Kuzma and then number 28. Like, and you have to move him as an actual salary. My issue with that is, look, there's the fit issues for sure. I think Westbrook obviously gives you someone who can run the offense when LeBron is off the court, and Los Angeles' half-court offense ranked in the 30th percentile last year when LeBron was off the floor. Now, you don't want to spend $132.6 million over the next three years to necessarily fill that void, but he is star power, and you can do different things with LeBron um, that you can't necessarily do with Harden, like, you know, you can run screen and rolls with LeBron if you really want to, like, use him as an, like, a makeshift Anthony Davis sometimes when it's just LeBron and Russ on the court. So I don't, I don't. Oh, hold, hold on. Before you finish this, do you 100% believe this yourself? Like, are you trying to sell yourself on this or do you actually believe that the Lakers would be interested in this? Um, no, no, I don't believe. I'm just curious. Okay. And then, so in that type of deal, here's where I think it goes off the rails is that Kuzma and number 28, I think those are like assets that you don't want to give up in a deal for Westbrook's contract. And so if you're Houston, if that's a deal that's on the table, one, does it interest you enough to say, hey, we'll give you either our 2022 pick protected or it can be a pick swap or you just like, you know what, we're not giving up any type of asset in a Westbrook, uh, a Westbrook trade. And if you're not, I think that limits the pool even further because maybe there is a contender that's like willing to do or a fringe contender willing to do something like this, 
But, like, if, if they want to... Because Danny Green and Avery Bradley are players that could actually help the Rockets. So, if you want to get back guys who can maybe help you pivot into a rebuild because their contracts are short, but they can also help you win around James Harden next season, I'm wondering if there would be, like, some wiggle room from Houston there to be like, yeah, we will throw our 2022 pick in play. And, obviously, putting protections on it makes more sense than a pick swap because if you do end up trading James Harden, you're not going to be good um, ahead of that 2022 draft. So the kind of situation where I do expect them to, where I could see them, you know, trading a first round pick is if they get like three or four good players back for Western, which is kind of the deal you're describing, right? Because then you can trade at least two of those players for first round picks in the future if you if need be, right? At the deadline next season, right? Like that, that's always a very popular time for teams trying to tear up the cupboards uh, to, you know, to get to net first round picks. Like I think that's the kind of deal you're talking about. Um, but I, I still, like, I don't think that Houston is willing to give up first-round picks. I, I really don't, especially after the Robert Covington trade. Like, like not only they, they trade first-round picks in the, the Rustbrook trade, like, I mean, they, they traded first-round picks in the Covington trade. So it, it's one of those things where, like, I just think that they want to restock the cupboard. And, like, I, I, think, I don't think they're going to, you know, go as far as, you know, oh, we, we want to get back all the value we lost in that Chris Paul trade and get – you know, first four first round picks. I don't think that they're that delusional, right? I think they're willing to view that as a sunk cost, but I think they want some value back, right? Like I think they want like some good contracts back. If they can get a first round pick back, that'd be great, but I don't think they're expecting it. You know, it's, 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 it's that kind of situation. I think more than likely, I think they're, you're, the trades you're looking at are like probably breaking up that Westbrook contract into pieces of good players that you can flip at the deadline. Like, I think that's probably the most likely situation because it, it does make Houston a good team and it it, 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 it kind of keeps you, you know, fluid for rebuilding. Uh, I, I think what hurts them right now is that you have Drew Holiday and Chris Paul in play at the same time. And so there are teams that, you know, yeah, maybe they'd be interested in getting someone by giving up fewer assets, but because those are two good players and Chris Paul is the superior player and they're both on shorter term contracts. Like, I think that also hurts the rocket uh, rocket's pursuit where you're almost limited exclusively to like those teams that are content to try and chase the seven or eight seeds. And like, I think Charlotte, Detroit, New York are going to be the ones that come up the most. I know some people floated around Sacramento. I think that would be an absolutely terrible fit with De'Aaron Fox, but they are a team that has tried, um, you know, weird things in, in the past. But it definitely hurts, I think, um, their search to find any team just willing to take on Westbrook's money, given that Drew Holiday and Chris Paul are just floating around out there. And, look, you know, maybe Orlando is like, you know, can we get rid of some of this salary that we don't necessarily want to send it to Houston? But then you're even looking at that, and it's like, well, Fournier opts in. Like, does Fournier and Aaron Gordon for Russell Westbrook make them um, better? And are is Houston willing to take back Al Farouk Aminu in that deal to give Orlando just some a little bit more long-term cap relief? Like, why would you have Westbrook if Markel Fultz is there? Does he need to be a part of this deal? Is Fultz and Evan Fournier plus another salary? Like, does that make sense for either side? I would say, like, looking, scouring the league, which I've tried to do for a Westbrook trade, I don't even know. Most of the teams that I think will end up trading for him probably shouldn't. Um, I would be more, I would actually be more on board with the Lakers or the Clippers rolling the dice on Westbrook than a Charlotte or a Detroit or New York, just because they're so far away from where they need to be if you're going to acquire Westbrook. However, I think that's the type of team that ends up acquiring him, and I would peg it as, like, I could maybe rattle off four or five teams that are in that situation. I think I just named them. Charlotte, Detroit, New York, and Orlando seems to be okay with being in the middle, too. Yeah, and, and what really really sucks if you're Houston is 
you kind of shot yourself in, in the foot here by being such a smart smart front office and, and getting your guys hired on other teams. Like we've seen slowly over the past four or five years, the, the smartification of NBA front offices, you're seeing less and less dumb teams uh, willing to, to, to sniff on Westbrook right now. Uh, like 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 the Sacramento is smart now. They got Monty McNair running the ship. The Timberwolves are smart now. They got Garrison Rosas running the ship, right? Like like the Rockets cut their guys hired at other places and are therefore hurting themselves in this trade, right? Like it it it's 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 it is uh, just a, a bit of irony there. Um, yeah, I mean like I I, I do think it's going to be a small market team. I I agree. I think it's going to be a, a probably a small market team that's been desperate for contendership into the playoffs for a while. Um, and I think, I think, you know, those fans are kind of crazy for it, man. Like, like, listen, you and I might not like it, right. Cause we're, cause we're like so dead set. Okay. How do you get from this to a title contender? Right. But a lot of, a lot of fans aren't like thinking that way. It's like, okay, how do we get from this to the playoffs? Like I, like I've been there, man. Like, like, like rooting for a team that's middle of the pack, not, not making the playoffs year after year after year. It sucks. It sucks. And at some point, it's like, just give me one star. Give me one star that I can root for, that I can take my kids to the game with, right? Like, it, it, it's, it's, it gets to that point, and, um, yeah, it's, it, it'll be fascinating. It, it will be fascinating, but I will the, – the most interesting thing to me is going to be the returns Houston gets back. If that's one, you know, lump sum kind of player like, like Griffin where, you know, like the, you're trying to sell Harden or you, maybe you try to – acquire a, a bunch of different pieces this is very much a, it's very similar to that uh it, lebron Kyrie situation in, in in cleveland like do you, do you remember that like yeah where Le, lebron was in his final year in cleveland and Kyrie demanded a trade and you know like you were trying you were trying that delicate balancing act of trying to appease lebron without sacrificing your future right it's got to look at this trade. This deal can only end in just some wacky four team trade. It needs to be something just bonkers like uh, Al Horford going to Cleveland, Kevin Love going to Houston, Blake Griffin going to Philly, Russ ending up in Detroit, like some some stuff like that. I feel like that's what this entire situation deserves is that just type of mind melting outcome. Oh, it's totally on the table too, because there's just a bunch of teams that are angsty right now. Like this, this trade. Like first of all, this off season in general, if it, if it wasn't a month long, it was going to be an insane off season for trades, right? Like just because of the state of the league right now, there are a bunch of teams that want to make trades. Boston has like three first round picks this year. They want to make trades. Uh, the, the Sixers just hired Daryl Morey. They are going to make trades. Right. Uh, like uh, like the Thunder are going to trade Chris Paul. That's another trade. Like. The Rockets are going to trade Russell Westbrook. That, that's another trade. Like, there's just a bunch of teams that are going to make moves right now. And, and and this is not even counting the teams we don't even see coming making a trade, right? Because those always happen. Uh, and, I, like, I, it's going to be an insane period for transactions. And, you know, it, it could be a thing where, like, some of these GMs come on the phone, like, okay, how— how can we best solve all our problems here at once? You know, that that, that that happens sometimes. It's very hard. Don't get me wrong. It's very hard to construct a four-team trade. Just because it happens doesn't mean it's not easy. Like, it, it is, like, one side always, like, one of those four teams always at the last minute. Just, yeah, I, I think I could use an, an extra first-round pick. Or, you know, like, well, you know, maybe we can throw in this contract, you know, off our books, right? Like, it always messes up at the last minute. 
and but this situation might just necessitate it unless you're taking back a huge salary as Houston because if it's smaller pieces like you have to worry about the roster spot crunch and so you're going to need teams to take on certain bodies so even if it's like a smaller time ask I would I I wouldn't surprise me if this ends up being a three or four team deal and in that situation you may be able to net first round picks right you may be able to like uh if, if it is like you're getting like four or five players back right or like three or whatever and you know you're not necessarily taking back all those players you might be able to get a first round pick back which is pretty unpredictable uh something something we would have never said a month ago about westbrook but i mean if we're really going out there and like talking about three to 14 trades, that's the, that's the kind of situation where you might be able to net first round pick back. So I think the natural segue here is to James Harden. And so he's might be unhappy, but he's also locked in for next season. As we already mentioned, Uh, they're on, I, I don't like the phrase they're on the clock with James Harden, because as soon as you max out anybody, you're just on the clock. You've made that max contract investment. They've made it, I think two times over now with James Harden, um, if not three at this point, like you're, you're on the clock, but do you think that I, from where I'm standing, this just feels doomed to end with, there's no way that James Harden finishes his contract here. And part of me is just wondering, like, are we going to get to a point where he's just, we just say, well, he's not even going to be on the team after next season. But do you think, is it really that type of a doomsday scenario for Houston? Or do you think they still have a, that he will give them an opportunity to redeem themselves, in which case now the return that they get from Russell Westbrook or what they turn it um, into, what they're able to do with whoever comes back and whatever flexibility they gain, which is going to be minimal. Uh, the only the only flexibility they're really gaining is if you get contracts that come off the books and you're saving money into 21, 22, like that just might make it easier to use your mid-level exception. Like this isn't a, a, um, a spot where Houston's all of a sudden just going to have all this cap space to spend because Russell Westbrook isn't on the books. You still have James Harden at 40 plus million dollars. You have that Eric Gordon number on the books and even Covington, he's on a good deal. Um, that's still 12.1. And so 12 and 17 and 41, like you're getting awfully close to, um, you know, $80 million right there. That doesn't leave you with a ton of flexibility. You have to worry about PJ Tucker's free agency. It doesn't seem like he's happy. So I'm just, if you're objectively speaking, just how concerned should Rockets fans be that they are approaching the end of their time with James Harden as their franchise superstar? Oh, it should be a nine out of 10 right now. Right. Like, like, and you know, the, the, the only reason I'm not giving it a 10 out of 10 is Harden hasn't demanded a trade yet. Right. Right. And, and, that's your saving grace if you're Houston. Like that's like that's how you throw a hail mary by just having an awesome 2020 2021 campaign, right? And convincing them like, listen, man, this is the place. Like, right? Like if you if you can somehow make a a really good team out of James Harden in parts, which they've done before, right? Like they they've done that in 2016 17 where they surrounded Harden with shooters and a really good role man in Clint Capella. And they were able to get to 55, you know, wins and, you know, lose to the Spurs. And that that was a really compelling situation that drew Chris Paul in, right? Like, if you can get to that point, like, that, 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 then maybe you saved yourself. But again, it is a Hail Mary, right? Like, you have to have an awesome season in this Western Conference, right? I think this is just as, uh, just as like, of today, the toughest Western Conference we've seen in years, and it's going to be really hard to, to pile up wins, but that's your only hope. That that really is. Like, you have to nail this offseason. You have to spend into the tax if you're Tillman Fertitta, which is a big if. And, like, trust me, like, in Houston, 
all eyes are on him. The fan base has completely turned on him. And, you know, they, they, could, they should. Like, they, they let Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni walk away in one offseason. Right, and like, I think, look, there was an underestimation there. Like, I don't think people – I know the Rockets have received criticism for how they haven't valued um, chemistry enough. But I don't think anyone appreciated just how good, like, the relationship between D'Antoni and Harden really was. And then D'Antoni and Morey, and then probably even Morey and James Harden as well. Like, that was – and you mentioned at the top of the podcast, but, like, that's an element of this too is, like, if – it's not just that this whole Russ thing didn't work out. It's that if you lost two people – in the franchise who it seems like James Harden got along with was on the same page with like, that's going to be an even bigger part of a trade demand. Should one come 100%. It is, um, it's insane. Like, like, like just this idea that that apparently like, like Harden doesn't feel like he was involved in the decision-making process. If that's true. And I haven't looked into that, but if that's true, that is a, pretty big red flag if you're using you and it's also a stark contrast from how they would have been run previously right because he was oh, very much 100%. involved when maury was in yeah. the fold absolutely absolutely and like the first phone call you make if you're rafael stone if you're if you're steven silas getting your you know getting the job is to james harden 100 percent. like like oh i'm hired okay hold on give me one second before you release that press release let me call james harden real quick to tell him i got the job and let me ask him about his thoughts right like like before you even tell anybody that you have the job you talk to james harden right like that that's that's how important relationships with your star player are and like the fact that the, the rockets treated harden like royalty up until this season and that he doesn't feel like they did that they gave him that same favor this season. It's pretty damning, right? right. Like, like it, it does. It doesn't get any more damning than that for ownership, for the front office, for the coaching staff. Like, and listen, I feel really sympathetic to Stephen Silas. This is a hell of a situation to walk into for your first job. Uh, welcome to the NBA. Uh, it is. Uh, it, it, it it's just the way it goes, man. Like, I, I, you have to get your star player involved in all these decision making processes, and. Um, if that's true, if it, if that if that doesn't indeed end up being true, and from all indications, like, like these are pretty credible reporters that are putting this stuff out there, um, that that's bad. It's really bad. There's and look and so if you want to prevent the Harden situation from reaching critical mass, and it, it might already be there, like what are you like the the Russell Westbrook trade is probably not going to be the move that actually helps you which is what's so tough to wrap your head around. And we talked about this when you came on to do a Rockets look ahead that is now wildly outdated because we were operating on all sorts of assumptions that have just proved untrue at this point. Uh, what else can you do with this roster? And yes, look, P.J. Tucker, Robert Covington, even Daniel House, like those are valuable players who you also can't afford to move. Like, yeah, if you were bringing back another star, you give up one of them. But even if you were like bringing back, let's just say it's a Victor Oladipo and you're giving up two of them. Like you can't even feel good about that deal because you're giving up like two incredibly key players. Like I would say that after Russ, those three are the most critical players on your roster. And I just don't know what the move is. Like, yes, they have. Like if we're looking on a smaller scale, let's say they break up the Russ contract into smaller pieces. Um, I don't know what the salary is. Like, is it is it Nicholas Batum? Is it Terry Rozier? Like, if they go that route, um, they also have Eric Gordon. But it's like, what are you attaching to any of these pieces to make a deal palatable? And, you know, I think when I was talking to you, like, one of the best ones I came up with is, like, can you use Aaron Gordon? And then you would have to go with House and then maybe a pick 
to try and get Otto Porter Jr. from Chicago, and I just don't even know that's doing it. The best thing that does is oh. like, oh, if we could. That's another team smarter by Houston. Arturis is a, is a former <laughs> Rockets GM. Yeah, so it's just like it's so – I don't know what they can feasibly do. And it's – it feels like – like are they able to turn in – like I guess the, what I'm trying to say is the best route for them to do anything to make this team better, I don't know if it's actually the Russell Westbrook trade. It's certainly not a straight-up one. It feels like there's either – it's a bigger deal with a ton of moving parts – or you're getting back smaller parts that are then more easily digestible by other teams that you can send out and attach stuff to it. And by stuff, I mean, look, your assets are Covington, P.J. Tucker, Daniel House, and that 2022 pick. And you probably don't, I mean, unless Tucker just wants to leave at this point because he seems unhappy, you probably can't give up Tucker. I would argue you really can't give up Covington if you want to play small. Maybe you view one of them as expendable if you're going to sign a traditional center of which there are plenty on the market this year. So, yeah, that's something to consider. But I just – I don't even know, like, what is the, you know, buy low, um, hit high. Like, it's the low-risk, high-reward play for them. Like, I've tried to give some consideration of what might be out there. And the, the closest I can come, and I don't even know if this would be possible, is that can you take a swing at Victor Oladipo somehow? Like, has his value fallen enough where, like, if Houston's 2022 pick is in play – um, that Indiana is prepared to bet on, well, if Eric Gordon's healthy, or maybe, let's say, you know, is Terry Rozier involved from the Indiana trade? Like, it's just, is something else there from the Russell Westbrook trade where the 2022 pick and, let's say, House or Covington, like, get you an Oladipo? And is that the type of swing that's even worth making at this point? That is the absolute ceiling that I could come up with, and I, I spent way too much time thinking about it. Yeah, as we were recording, a friend just texted me like, "Victor, is Victor Oladipo telling other players of other teams that he wants that? Is this true?" Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I can't remember who reported it. I saw it on aggregated by Hoop Central that he was reportedly asking teams, other teams as players, in front of his teammates if he could come play for those teams. And it was, <laughs> and wait, this is even better. It's the Heat, the Raptors, and the Knicks of all teams. So it was like the Knicks looped in there. It was just absolutely hysterical uh, like it's pickup basketball can you pick me up like what <laughs> like, right and the other uh, thing was there was i don't know if you saw it there was the um oladipo's sister i believe there was something that there was something that was aggregated about uh how oladipo like hasn't been great in the locker room in indy um oladipo's sister i believe um unless this is proven untrue quote tweeted it um basically referencing well who has the big mouth in uh, Indiana's locker room, someone replied with, it's definitely Miles Turner, and she, I guess, liked it or responded to it, and then Miles Turner dropped in that conversation and said, oh, it's like that now. So there's, like, all this weird drama in Indiana, and I'm just not even saying that a package of, you know, let's say Filler Covington in a 2022 pick, I don't know if that gets you, Oladipo. Uh, I would assume... I, I, I just love this idea of trading toxic for toxic and just, like, hoping it fixes itself out on both situations. Like, that, that's hilarious. Yeah, there's... But I'm just saying, like, that might be the type of swing they need to take, because I don't know that you can just say, like... I do, what is the end game of trading Russell Westbrook? Like, what is the goal? You mentioned rebuilding pieces before, but how do you sell a 30-something James Harden on that direction? Yeah, I mean, those rebuilding pieces have to be good, right? Like, I, like they have to be really good, and they have to get you to a place where you're winning. Yeah, you have to win 50 games next year. Um, like, and by the way, that report of Oladipo came from uh, Jay Michael. So he's like with the indie indie star and he knows his pace or stuff like that's a guy who's plugged in so like that wasn't that anecdote is from a reputable reporter and so it's not something to be taken lightly yeah it wasn't some dude at, at, a, at a 
from it wasn't where. legion hoops that right. was reporting it <laughs> yeah I, I yeah that, that 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 is pretty credible there um yeah I mean, that that's insane that is insane yeah i mean yeah like taking a swing is all you have at this point like you have to take swings at guys like oladipo like blake griffin I, I don't. I don't. Listen. I don't think Boston's gonna even entertain this. But like, you have to take swings like guys like Eric Gordon Hayward, or like guys like that are the kinds of players you have to take swings at if you're Houston. Um, and and you're just hoping that Westbrook is a palatable enough piece to where you can't trade at. You don't have to trade future first round picks because if that's the case, I'm telling you right now, they are not trading future first round picks unless the deal is so good. Like if you're getting like Paul George back in return or something. Then yeah, obviously you trade for first round picks. I don't think I don't think they're getting that. So, so if that's the case, I mean you you have to bank on Westbrook being palatable enough for some of these front offices to be like, you know what, we have to make the playoffs. Let's go ahead and trade you, you know, an, an Oladipo. Uh, and and you know the the Pacers by the way aren't like one of these playoff starved teams. Like they have a pretty winning history. Uh, so it, that's going to be a front office that's hard to convince, but. Uh, you know the Pacers, the uh, the Pistons. Like you, you have to bank on one of these teams being desperate enough to take that next step, uh, and you know, hoping that one of these pieces that you know, you know, they they had whether they're injury plagued or we haven't seen them play basketball for a while, uh, whether these players are good. And you know, like I think that's the kind of trade, that's the kind of trade you have to make if you're Houston because. I mean, here's the thing. You're trading a, a, a known asset. Like, what, however you feel about Wessel Westbrook, you're trading a known asset. And you're you're trying to get something that's unknown. And trying to sell that to James Harden is going to be tough. But if that if that player is a, is a name, right, if that player is someone like Blake Griffin, right, like, they, then you can possibly sell that to Harden as, no, like, listen, like, this is like, like used to be a perennial perennial MVP candidate. This guy's really, really good. He just had an injury year. You know, you played like 18 games last year. What do you expect? Like, of course his production was going to be down. Like that's the kind of way you have to sell it to James. And it's going to be tough, man. I do not envy Rafael Stone. Again, uh, welcome to the NBA. (laughs) Welcome Uh, to the NBA, Rafael Stone. Do you know what could happen? And I haven't seen this. And it just kind of sprang to me is that why don't you just go for a riskier version of Russell Westbrook who likes to pass and their deals match up almost dollar for dollar. Russell Westbrook for John Wall. And maybe that's the trade where you're actually getting an asset in return because Wall is coming off that Achilles injury. Yeah, but... Does John Wall and James Harden get you to 50 wins next year? Like the, the... I think so. The two things that have to happen is then you're continuing to play super small. Um, I'd also just be curious to like know because Washington is getting the, be- I, the at least the safer player in this regard with Russell Westbrook. Is what else could you get out of them? Like, is there can you expand it to include a sign and trade with Davis Bertans and you're giving them Eric Gordon? Uh, I don't know how much interest they would have in something like that. Is it, you know, is Troy Brown Jr. of interest to Houston? Like, you're definitely not getting the number nine pick or Rui Hachimura out of that. But it feels like that would be the type of deal where if you think John Wall's healthy and you're just trying to sort of mime last year's style, uh, now you're putting someone in place who actually likes to pass more than Russell Westbrook. Like, Russell Westbrook, and I'm not trying to make this an insult, I feel like he passes out of circumstance, like out of necessity, because he has to, where John Wall really likes to pass. And so I actually think he's probably... A healthy John Wall is a better fit uh, for James Harden than Russell Westbrook is, in my in my personal opinion. Yeah, I mean, it, it, at his best, he is definitely a better defensive player. But man, it, it, 
these these trades really are bottom of the barrel. Like it's, it, you're in a really bad spot right now, Houston. Like it's just like his his value already was was rock bottom, and the fact that he came out and demanded this trade just sunk it even more. I do not envy this front office. I mean, like again, these trades that we're talking about are awful for a team trying to contend. Just awful. Like like yeah, they might make you better because Russ was such a poor fit. But that doesn't make it a good trade. Well, there's also no guarantee they make you better because, like, Russell, again, Russell Westbrook played really well from, like, you know, the middle of the season to, like, the tail end of it. So it's like he was – he still wasn't the best fit. Like, you got worse because you traded Chris Paul. That was the first domino to fall that um, screwed them over. Yeah, I mean, I, I if you're Houston, I, I, you're, I think the model to follow is that 2016-17 season where, where, you know, in the offseason they signed Eric Gordon, they signed – Ryan Anderson, they signed Nene, and they were a really fun team that no one really expected to contend, but it made Harden content enough to stick along to where, you know, you know the next season they trade for Chris Paul. I, I, that, that's, that's the tough part, right? Like, how do you pivot from that fun team to a contender? I don't know. You can't at that point because I, I think the cupboard's pretty bare. Um, but that's your only hope. Like, here's the thing with, here's the thing with having a player like James Harden. Pivoting to a rebuild, yeah, it sounds it sounds fun, but James Harden is a generational player. You're almost certainly not going to get that in your next franchise player. Like, like it's just the odds are super low that you're that you're going to get a player of that kind of ilk, like a top five, top six uh, in the NBA kind of player. Mm-hmm. Like, even if even if you get Ben Simmons, right? Like, which is which is the hot name right now. Ben Simmons, I love Ben Simmons, but as his peak, what is he? Is he what top ten? Top yeah. fifteen, he probably is, but you're also not going to get him for Russell Westbrook, <laughs> right? Like, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm just saying, like, if you're playing, if you're planning to rebuild from Harden, like, oh, from Harden, I got you, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, like, I just think, like, you need, like, it would have to be a situation where it's coming from. I don't even know if you get, like, I don't, I don't know what's the better route to go is, uh, getting like someone who's more established, like a Ben Simmons, or like OKC got the best of both worlds with Shea Gilchrist Alexander and some distant first round picks. Maybe that's the route to go. Or can you go with, you know, something like OKC? Like that'd be really funny. Is he hard back in OKC because they have all those picks of all those other teams, or even the New Orleans Pelicans who have all those late um, Lakers picks? So at that point, what you're doing is getting bad yourself, and so your picks are going to be higher. But Houston traded away so much of its future already; that's potentially a problem. But then you're also getting these like semi-distant future first that could turn into something down the line. I'm not sure what's the better route to go. Um, neither is especially palatable. I think if yeah, if Ben Simmons was on the table, like having a top 10, top 15 guy, like that certainly makes your team better, but you're not, I do, it's clear, like you're going to come down substantially from from Harden. Yeah, and, and that's why I advocate ride this high as long as you can until he comes to you and asks out. Like, again, your championship odds are just always at a certain percentage when you have James Arnold on the team. He's that kind of a player. He always puts you in the mix. In the mix. I, Just, look, oh, sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. No, I mean, I mean I, the, he always keeps you in contention. And I think if you're Houston, like, yeah, it, it might sound a little bit relieving, a little less stressful, a little easier to try and rebuild. But it's it's substantially harder. It just sounds easier. It's substantially harder to rebuild from that. Yeah, like you might eventually have to do it at some point, but I, I think you can afford to wait a year. Harden's value is still going to be really good next year, and I think at that point, you know, you can ride out another year of James Harden, which I think 
is good. Like you want to write out as many years of James Harden as you possibly can before this ride ends. Now, final question is more, it might be a series of questions. Does James Harden finish next season with the Houston Rockets? It really depends on how that year starts, huh? Uh, and, and if that's the case, it really depends on what kind of, what kind of haul they get back for Westbrook. Right. Um, I'll say yes. I don't think he starts the 2022 season with them, or the 2021 season. That was going to be our next question, and that's where I'm at too, is that I will be, I don't know if it'll be pleasantly surprised, but I guess mildly surprised if he's on the roster beyond next season because I don't know where they would need to get to next year for him to deem it a success. I here's So I'll pick this. This is where I'm at. I think it's more likely that Russell Westbrook um, finishes next season in Houston than I think it is that – James Harden begins the 21-22 season in Houston, if that makes any sense. No, I get it. I, that, 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 count, that computes well in my head. But um, here's a question I have for you. What is an optimized, like, like let's just say they're, the Rockets somehow like managed to cobble together like a third seed in the West, which is going to be really tough. Like, really, you're talking about passing up teams like at least like Denver, right, of quality. But let's just say they do it. Is that if you if you're if you're hardened like like yeah you're not better than the Lakers you're not better than the Clippers but and you're you're probably not better than the Warriors but if you're a third or fourth seed is that an attractive enough situation to want to stay or do you still want out at that point do you still I, force a trade to like Philadelphia I think you kind of size up what they can do in the offseason because I think what happens is so whether or not you trade Westbrook in that situation like everything on your books gets a little bit more palatable at that point so even Russ like. What if it goes the Chris Paul route where he has a great year next season and like all of a sudden, no, he's, I don't think he'll ever be at the level Chris Paul was because of what Chris Paul can still do defensively and he actually has a jump shot. But what if his contract, oh, there's only two years left and that final two years and what is it, like $90 million, a little over $91 million, whatever it is, that doesn't look so terrible anymore. So he becomes more movable. Or even Eric Gordon with only two years left on his deal, if he has a better season, he's more movable. And so there might be more stuff that you can do and then maybe I'm seeing if I'm hardened. No, they're not going to have cap space. Like they would literally need to. They need to trade away. And let's say they trade Russell Westbrook for all expirings. Um, going into the twenty one twenty two season, uh, they have eighty one point three million dollars committed to Harden, Gordon, Covington, and Daniel House. That's all guaranteed. Um, and that number can it's it's about eighty million dollars. That number can only go up if they add players um, this this summer to multi year deals. So it's not going to be a matter of cap space, but I feel like it does get a little bit easier to maybe construct moves. Um, and and it's, it gets even easier if you've actually turned Russell Westbrook into something other than, oh, we don't owe as much. Like if you can get even a low end first or just a prospect, and now you can trade that prospect with um, Eric Gordon's salary, or maybe you've traded for a salary that's coming off the books in in 22 in the, in the Westbrook trade. So I think you give them time to... to gather themselves in the offseason but you need to have reached this is important you need to have reached what you just talked about which i would say is at least top four in the west and put up a real fight in the second round if not made the western conference finals and that's not going to be easy because as you mentioned we're talking lakers we're talking clippers we're talking nuggets if the warriors are healthy the mavericks are coming what happens if the suns trade for chris paul the jazz are going to be there uh, if they remain healthy so it's not easy, and I think if you are around that territory, though, if you finish the year third or fourth and you don't get annihilated in the first round, you at least put yourself in a position to where maybe you can do things that will make Harden more likely to stay with you. Um, the other thing that you could do is if he really didn't have um, 
a major say in what was happening this summer, you need to change that because that's what made Houston so attractive, I think, to Harden in the first place right now, is that he had so much of an influence in in what was happening. And you can't let that be, you know, I don't, I'm not saying you need to let your superstar run your team, but if you are that desperate to keep James Harden, he has to be just as involved, if not more involved, as he was with Daryl Morey and D'Antoni. And I don't necessarily know what would have changed because as we already talked about, he supported the Westbrook trade. That wasn't a Maury move. Was that Maury just listening to his star? Was it Vertita pushing Maury as well? And now Vertita just doesn't trust uh, James Harden's basketball opinion? I, I honestly don't know, but it does seem like Harden's influence transcended Maury a little bit because of that trade. That or Maury was really just willing to defer to his star's gut, which definitely proved to be a mistake there. So those are the two things I think you can do is you need to finish high enough in the West to put yourself in a position to do something because you can't stand pat at that point. And also, if it's true that Harden didn't feel like he was involved throughout this process, that that needs to change post-haste. I 100% agree. Here's another question I have for you. And this is kind of a fun fun little hypothetical. We're never going to get the answer to this. But what's a better team? Let's say the Rockets managed to, to persuade Russell Westbrook to stay. And you go into you go into next season with with the same core, and you maybe you add someone for the taxpayer MLE. What, what is that core better than what you get with Harden plus whatever you get from the Westbrook trade? And maybe you sign like a Nerlens Noel in the offseason because you don't have to go at, you don't have to go full microball anymore at that point because you know you, you you're not you you don't need that floor spacing. You, you have uh, four shooters on the floor at that point. So what's a better team? That team or a team like? Uh, or, or the, the same core coming back. I don't. It's tough to know without knowing what they're getting in the Westbrook it trade. Is. If you were to ask me, like, let's say, let's use Blake Griffin as the example, or let's say they were able to swing like a, you know, is it like a four-team deal that lands them Al Horford or Kevin Love or Blake Griffin? Like, if that's the scenario, uh, if it's if Blake Griffin's healthy, I think I might go that that's the better team because he's a shooter in himself, which helps. And you could even go with Kevin Love in that scenario too, even. Am I going to say Al Horford as well? It's, so I think I think having Westbrook might give you the higher ceiling, but all those other options give you a better chance of just being the better all around, like having the higher floor, if that makes any sense. I'm with you. Like, like I, I, I think Westbrook is just such a high-variance player. Like His ceiling with this Rockets team might be higher, but the, the, the circumstances where you hit that ceiling are just like, like you're talking about like ping-pong balls, right? right, right. And I think... And I think you hit more you hit more good ping pong balls with the team without Westbrook than you do with him. But there is one ping pong ball in that in that stack of hundreds that hits the lottery, right? And I and that's why you would keep Westbrook, right? You're trying you're trying to get that one. And I I I, I, just, I wouldn't I wouldn't approach it that way. I I think I agree with you. I think it is that team uh, with with um, without Westbrook. I, I think it's that if you can successfully do that and pull it off and find well-fitting pieces this offseason, I think that team is better. And at that point, like, you're talking about trying to salvage the season, which is going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Right. By the way, uh, quick a quick aside. Like, Isn't that kind of like Blake Griffin's ideal situation, like, if he ends up in Houston? Because, like, I don't think he's a power forward anymore. Like, no offense to him. In today's NBA, he just can't play that anymore. He's not a good enough defender. He's not a good enough shooter. And I think playing him at center is just like maximizing his abilities and whatever team he ends up on. I, I I'd like to see him play center. I think he'd be really good. 
Uh, for for Houston specifically too, it's you have PJ Tucker and Robert Covington there to where I think you might be able to have a better chance of getting away with that move defensively. That's the biggest problem with playing him at centers. I don't know unless he's going up against like he might be able to hold up in the post against some guys or just slow movers in general. But um, that you know him going up against bigger players isn't necessarily a solution. Having him as your backline rim protector, but again, you have PJ Tucker and Robert Covington in in Houston right now. So yeah, I, I think you could argue that. The Rockets are a good situation for him. Um, with that, though, you know, you're nervous about – you have to be nervous about his injuries. Like, the, the floor there is just so low if he goes down again because then you have nothing around James well, Harden aside from – like, if you just took Russell Westbrook off this roster without putting anyone else in place, like, what is – is that team, like – is that a playoff team in the West? It might. I guess James Harden is good enough for it still to be, but at the same time, it's like you need a really good run of health for that to happen at that point, because you're just so shallow without that extra star. Yeah. And this is why I classify this trade as a high risk from a team perspective, a low risk from an asset management perspective, because you can, then he becomes expiring next year, right? Like in, from an asset perspective, if, if he's not good, it doesn't matter. Like he's an expiring contract. You can move to a rebuild. You can trade him. You'll be a really valuable contract because that's like what 35 million expiring salary. I'm sure there are going to be teams that want to acquire that for cap space the following season and or just keep him and you have that you have that you know contract becoming cap space and i think if you're Houston you want to be a team with cap space right and and you can move all the players around that you can move Harden you can move uh, you can move Covington you can move t- not Tucker's going to be a free agent at that point but you can move Gordon you can move all those other guys and i like th- that's why that trade to me is the most appealing uh, the, the the big question here is does Detroit want to do that right, right. like and you know like I I struggle with that I'm not sure if they want to do it like it, it is fun to, to picture a world with like Christian Wood and like in like Russell Westbrook right. and, like you know trying to battle for an AC in the conference but it is definitely a tough sell. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I might have to call you back again to grade whatever trade goes down for these Rockets, but I do appreciate you coming on to talk about Houston so many things happening there they're clearly now like probably the most fascinating team uh heading into the the transaction period so uh Salman thank you again so much for coming on if you guys are not following him again it's Salman Ali NBA that's at S-A-L uh uh, M-A-N-A-L-I-N-B-A and be sure to listen to his podcast at Red Nation Hoops and also subscribe to his newsletter stateoftherockets.substack.com it is in his bio on Twitter so another reason to follow him thank you so much again this, this was a blast i love talking hoops with you yeah this is fun dude. sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history relive their decade of dominance in the new showtime sports documentary the kings a four-part series premiering sunday june 6th only on Showtime.